Hello, welcome back, everybody. This is Neil with Portal to Ascension. Welcome to the fifth panel for today. We started at 9 a.m. We're going to 9 p.m., 12 hours, and um, it's been a really, really incredible day. Just so much beautiful information. We started it out so amazingly and really did pick up energy, right, Alan? And up until the UFO panel, it kind of like everything just kind of funneled into each other. We just kept peeling back layers, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this whole day is about going deeper and... You know, we, if we have been in this field, something is solidifying in us. It's not just we're trying to convince people. It's it's dropping in. I think all of us realize mm, we're in it for the long haul and, and we're actually changing consciousness. We're all, things are being activated in the public. There's, I don't find there's the resistance that there used to be. I mean, maybe Adam and Geraldine have to, can comment on that, but something just feels a little more fluid. I don't know. Is that, that true, Adam, for you? I think people have been going through quite a lot over the last couple of years. And as a natural result of deep transformation and growth and having to question your reality at a deeper level and question all of the realities that are stories that our people are creating about reality at a deeper level, I think people are, in a sense, being forced into, into their own discernment. And, you know, that pathway, I think, is part of the critical awakening process where you, you have to open yourself to everything and then learn how to discern what's actually important, what's actually resonant, and what's actually true. And I think more and more people are starting to feel that current and get to know it a little better. Right. Yeah, that, that's nice confirmation. What about you, Geraldine? Do you feel like you're, it's easier to talk because you, you well, both of you got both you, Geraldine and Adam go really out there, but you know, you're on the cutting edge there, Geraldine, and are people more open to this now? I certainly feel so. I think people over the past, uh, well, as far as what I've seen, seven years has been exponential growth. I think the conversations are getting deeper, more detailed. The questions are getting better, more personal. And I think it's an exciting time, major transformation that we're moving through. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's exciting. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. So um, I just realized that Shreya's video is 20 minutes long. So what I'm going to do is I'll just play it at the end when we're done with the panel so we can have that whole thing there. And we'll just get into the discussion for this one. So I just want to officially say hi to everybody on all the socials, on YouTube. We're live again for the fifth panel. Tomorrow we are going live for five days, eight plus hours a day, Ultimate Star Beings event, largest scale ET event I've ever come across, and um, super high consciousness, like just it's going to be amazing. So if you want to tune into that, go to portaltoascension.org, upcoming events, online events. It's right there at the top. Uh, Really do tune in if you can. You get unlimited replay access and this is like I keep saying, this is a lighthouse into the cosmos that we're ready to create harmony and really unify and come together. And what we're doing with this event, as you will see over the next five days, a lot of this information comes back to the actual experience um, of the inner work, the messages that we have that they, they right, the the beings have or our own other selves, as Brandon calls it, have for us our message of empowerment and how we can really be the caretakers of this planet, how we can really do the inner work in order to shift. So it's going to be cosmic awareness, but really going to be um, kind of the inner work too. We're going to be receiving these codes as we go through it. So this panel 
is called What is the Multiverse slash Universe panel? And it was inspired from a panel that Alan and myself and Geraldine were on a couple of months ago where we started speaking about, like, I asked a question about, well, what's outside the universe if we're infinite, if the universe is infinite, but then it's also finite and there's other universes out of, outside of there, what really is the universe? So this panel is called What is the Multiverse slash Universe? And what we're going to explore today is what is this, what are we made out of? Are we hologram? Are we frequency? Is Are we the programmer and the programmee? You know, um, how do we shift from that and expand our perspective? What is in the center of the universe? These are kind of the questions I want to explore. And the individuals I invited on here, Geraldine Orozco, because, you know, she was part of that panel, had some really great insight. And then Adam Apollo, because he's traveled the cosmos, you know, um, astrally, and I'm not even sure, maybe even like physically for, for all the experiences you had, um, that he's really um, had a lot of experiences in different planets and galactic technology. So I was curious to see if maybe along these journeys, any of you guys started realizing what the fabric of the universe is. So we're going to get into this in just a moment here. Um, Alan, did you want to add anything to that before we start officially asking questions? Oh, that, 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 that's the ultimate star being questioned. What is the fabric <laughs> of the universe? I mean, that, yeah. that's what we're all discovering. We're all a part of it. It's like it's right here you can grasp it but it's ungraspable yeah yeah this is the fabric of the universe right slipping through our fingers it's it's almost i think beyond words but we can talk about it anyway so okay yep so so the first question i think should be a general question and then we'll get deeper into that and just the topic in general let's start with you adam geraldine and, and then geraldine you know what is the universe? Let's start with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's just start it out real simple. What's the universe? Um, well, being being that part of this panel is really an exploration of the multiverse. I think it's important to start with a context of scale and perception. Right at one point in time, we thought that all the stars that we see in the sky is the whole universe, and it turns out that every star that you can see with your eyes in the sky is actually just part of our little galaxy of 200 billion stars. And that in <laughs> fact, in all of the empty spaces that you're looking at, every single tiny little pinhead sized space that looks completely empty happens to have thousands of galaxies in it that we can see. So the entire sky, what we think of as this black space night, right, is actually completely pixelated with galaxies. And every one of those galaxies have hundreds of billions of stars, right? And so we thought the universe was our planet. And then we thought the universe was our solar system. And then we thought the universe was our galaxy. And now we think the universe is essentially all of those galaxies that form this body. But can we say that that's the limit? Can we go small and say, this is the limit of size and scale going small? Can we go large and say, this is the limit of how big everything is? We can't. All we can do is continue to open our perception to what we may not yet perceive, what we may not yet know. And what gets really challenging looking at the scale of the whole universe is that we've now started to understand that what we see is light traveling 
across vast distances. And then in fact, because of special and general relativity, the light that we're getting from distant galaxies has aged hundreds of thousands of years. Well, not the light hasn't aged itself, but we're receiving the light that left, you know, if it's a star like the Pleiades, it left 400 years ago. You know, if it's across the other side of the galaxy, it could be light that left 10,000 years ago. If it's light from other galaxies, it could be hundreds of thousands to millions of years ago. And so we know that we can only see that light that's reached us so far. And if the universe is expanding in the way that we believe it may be, then we're also, there are certain things we may never be able to perceive with light. We may never be able to see it with our eyes. But then this begs the true question, in the next step of our evolution, are we not learning how to perceive beyond the limits of the speed of light by recognizing that consciousness can already do that? Are we not in a threshold, not only of perception of what exists out in the universe, but what we can actually be aware of within through the movement and the expression of our consciousness? So I share some of that perhaps just to tee up our conversation, because I think there's a lot of deep exploration we can go into on this topic. And I think we are at a threshold of newer and deeper levels of discovery about who we are and what this universe is and how big the multiverse may be. Beautiful. Thank you, brother. Geraldine, how about you? What are your feelings on this? What's your opening thoughts on this concept? Yes, uh, I definitely resonate with how Adam is explaining, you know, this expansive universe um, and how, how as a, well, you know, our, our science, our, our science is catching up to the way that we, the seers or those that have traveled the universe out of bodies have, you know, explored it. We've explored it in ways that, uh, you know, cannot really be explained by our modern sciences. Uh, in fact, the, our, our, the properties of our reality cannot be explained by just one universe even, because then the laws of, of that, are, that are created as a result of this universe don't really quite fit. So we are really having to reach beyond the way uh, that we are perceiving, beyond what our eyes can see, and into another, another level of perception, of perception in which it's a completely different language. And this is where we go in order to understand, you know, UAPs and UFOs and things like this. You know, how, how can something like that be moving in and out of our, our, even our galaxy, you know, even our solar system? You know, so all of these questions are beginning to drive us in the direction of having to kind of create a new, a new way of understanding uh, physics and, and perceiving time and space. So I think that we are at a threshold in which uh, we are, it's almost as if a new science is being created. We are having to discard all the old ideas and the parameters of perception and begin to create a groundation, a, a new grounding uh, of a new way of, of looking and perceiving things. So um, I guess one of the things that I will say is that the way I have experienced it myself is that we are we are like cells within a DNA strand, you know, and that that is it's infinite. So 
who knows if we are inside of another organism of in itself we are perhaps cells within another organism mm. you know i i often think of you know the first men in black well i think it was the first one when in the end i think it was they he opens the the locker room door in the gym and there's a whole uh, there's a whole entire galaxy like a planet in there uh, waiting for the door to open because every time the door opens it's some huge person and they think it's their god and they literally just worship and wait however long for that and you know and it's such a small reality it's like a dimension within a locker room so this gets into the question of is there like because I've heard many different people who had experiences like this, but especially with plant medicine, I've heard this experience a lot too, that within small little particles, there are portals to dimensions and that whole entire realities could exist within the most subatomic particle. Is that something that is a possibility? I'm sure everything's a possibility, but what's your thought on that, Adam? Yeah, well... I mean, some of you that may be listening in may know some of my my personal story with uh, the unified harmonic matrix and this vision that I had when I was 15. And in short, the vision essentially was I was looking at an eye and then I zoomed out super fast, saw the body, saw the body connected to land, to the planet, the planet connected to the moon system causing this wave form around the sun. And I saw all the planets as essentially these like rings waveforms, you know, like essentially atoms in a molecule, and then the solar system spinning in spirals around the galaxy that look like DNA, and then the galaxies forming these larger clusters, and then on and on and on and on until I saw the whole universe. And then I saw this sort of fractal form of all of these different threads, essentially forming these larger and larger geometric patterns and as I zoomed out of those geometric patterns, I saw those patterns essentially forming a proton. And then the proton was clustered with other protons and surrounded by light of electrons. And these atoms essentially were structured into molecules that were essentially winding through a DNA thread. And that DNA was bundled around big protein spheres, forming chromosomes. And then essentially all of those within a cell nucleus, all of those within a cell, and all of the cells coming together and forming the surface of an eye. And that loop I went through when I was 15 years old, sitting on a couch, listening to Jimmy Buffett. And while my friends are playing Tekken, the whole thing happened in a split second. And it was the first fully clear visceral experience and sense that I had where I could remember every single instance of it. And it was as if I was looking at god i was looking at the infinite i was looking at the eternal that which can't be defined and yet somehow this whole thing is interconnected from the smallest scales to the biggest scales and i that impassioned me to spend many many of the years of my life essentially trying to understand that vision and the output of all of that is what became my work around the unified harmonic matrix and understanding that there are patterns at every scale but i would say that you know there is consistency within that whole picture. The consistency is holographic and fractal such that within this one context of universe, multiverse, and us, there is a consistency of existence. And I think that that's something really important to point to because we can get a little bit lost in the idea, you know, like the way that Marvel takes it, for example, where it's like, 
there's infinite universes and infinite versions of you and they're all coexisting and you never know which one you are, but you could just flip from one to another of these time frames at once. To me, when you go down that path, what happens is one, you get tons of freedom. You have a, a huge idea of freedom, but you can lose some of the sense of the consistency of your direct experience, what you're creating and how what you're creating can be a very classical pattern. It can, it can actually exist within the physics of this universe, while, as Geraldine said, a lot of those physics aren't yet fully understood by our mainstream science. There is physics to explain it. You know, for example, a ship that can fly in and out of the surface of the Earth or into a star, we think that's impossible. It must exist in another dimension or in another universe but in reality, all it takes is a gravity drive that allows you to separate the space-time inside the craft's field from the outside. And then that object can move through space-time without causing any interference with matter, meaning it can fly straight into a planet or out of a planet or whatever, right? And, and so I say all of that to kind of provide a little bit of framing because we also tend to go into like, ah, oh, there's just infinite dimensionality. And we lose a little bit of the sense of the practicality of what a dimension even is. What does it even mean to perceive something in four dimensions where space and time are seen as one thing or five dimensions in which you're seeing patterns in time? And I think it's useful to get back to those roots and also bring in the wisdom of metaphysics over the ages. Because we can just as easily look at the planes of existence, as they would be called in occult studies, and say, yes, the gross world has certain laws. The etheric world has a little bit different laws, you know, in the field of energy. And the astral world has very different laws because that's the mental field. And the mental field can say, you can pack an entire universe of existence into anything because anything can contain the energy and the information required to have any of a vast array of experiences. So from the astral or the mental plane level, anything is possible and infinite possibilities actually do coexist. But of those, what comes through the etheric matrix of the flow of the energy of space-time itself and then lands into what we call the gross world, the physical world, and becomes the reality that we experience. Hey, Neil, let me just jump in there. Please. For me, it is about, it's not about the mental, but I think the mental, the inner worlds, because when you go in to your own consciousness, there is no space or time. There's no dimensions. It's just floating in the isness of being. So there's an, inf like the universe is not just out there. There's an infinite universe right in whatever that's in mm. when you close your eyes and you drop in you're we're all tapped into an infinite universe that goes just as much inward as it goes to those billions of galaxies out there mm. so and who we are who what we call the personality is this sort of what always come to me a membrane between the inner and outer mm. between the infinite in and the infinite out that that came to me when i was really young because i i couldn't fall asleep at night i was like three or four years old i had like insomnia i was hyperactive it's a good thing 
you know, I wasn't a child like later on, they would have given me drugs to calm down my hyperactivity. But I just used to stay up and think and dream. And I figured out, oh, if I just shut my eyes and look ahead as if I'm looking out, but my eyes are closed, then I started to travel on light. Then it's like there was something that opened up and I felt as if I was moving, but I couldn't be moving out. I had to be moving in. And I don't know, there was an inner world and an outer world that we don't talk enough about when we talk about science and it's consciousness yet, but, and I haven't figured that out, but how could we be so infinite in and yet they're so infinite out, there's something there between this subjective and objective reality that we're talking about in the last panel that is also an illusion. You know, Donald mm -hmm. Hoffman says space and time are doomed because they're all fabrications. Einstein said they're not actually um, aspects. There are conditions in which we fabricated to live by, but they're not anything. Space and time, matter, energy, these dualities are lies or illusions is a better word for something that can't be defined. And that includes us, but it's great to explore it and put language on it and build warp drives and do all those things because we're here to play. And the more we're playing, the more we're exploring parts of ourselves. So that's what's exciting for me. The multiverse is the infinite dimensions, I think, Neil, that you are, that exists on all planes and all lifetimes and all realities that is happening right now. That's the multiverse. It's, it's not separate from us. It, it is us. Right, right. So did you say how, what you said, how can we be within and without? Was that what you said? Something like that. Yeah, we're infinitely yeah. in and there's an infinitely out. I mean, what? Right. So that's, we... that's a good question to get into. So I want, I want to ask now to the panel, I'll start with you, Geraldine, is the paradox, because that's a paradox, right? How can we be within if we're also without? How can the universe be finite because there's other universes outside of it if the universe is infinite? How can we be solid matter when we're actually vibrating frequency? So paradox, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally one of my favorite questions because now we start talking about the two uh, structures of this infinite infinity, right? There's two par parameters to how we can kind of begin to conceptualize these incredible concepts. And in, in our universe, we have infinity and how do we organize that infinity is through patterns. And, and, and really uh, these patterns are actually what creates the constructs of form from which begins to manifest uh, form in all these dimensional layers. Uh, there's a certain beauty, a certain order to that, which is we have certain laws, like for example, uh, the golden uh, golden ratio, uh, these very key numeric structures in which we can begin to see encoded down to the very cellular molecular level within our bodies. We are also being able to measure equally as above, so below, uh, infinitely. You know, these in, in these models in the universe, the way that uh, galaxies are spiraling, the way that uh, you know, energy is moving the way that the ratio rate at, at how inflation is actually occurring in our universe. 
Um, you know, all of these are, are measured by these patterns. And I believe that that is really the key to understanding how we are so deeply interconnected and perhaps a reflection. We are, uh, we are a mirror that everything that is actually happening within this little physical body is a fractal, fractal of what is occurring in this greater universe and then multiverses. Uh, and this is how I understood uh, through my personal experience of actually seeing th this, that, that we live within a DNA strand. It's, it's going through all of these different structures of our, of our cells in the body that are equally moving, you know, in one tiny little cell in your body is actually a multiverse, um, you know, from which it's, it's living within your body and you live as cells of, a, of an earth, planet earth, and this earth is like a cell of this galaxy, or, or let's say the solar system, the solar system of the galaxy and so on and so forth. Um, you know, we are, we are living in these fractal models. And it's actually uh, really beautiful how when you begin to study the, how the mind functions in this reality, uh, the effect, the chain reaction that fractal patterns have in the effect of the collective. Because when one cell, everything in this morphogenetic field is interconnected to create a harmonious balance of an organism, which we cannot see with our own eyes, but if we exist within, that the movement of every single one of those cells creates a chain reaction to the entire whole. This is how deeply, deeply interconnected we are. And we experience that every day. We see it in the world around us. We see it in how we are changing and moving things collectively, especially over the past few years, we've kind of uh, you know, seen that very clearly. So these, we, we are moving and these, uh, these experiences collectively and internally are things that we can see have occurring in cycles. So not only are we a DNA strand, not only are we a vortex, our physical, ex our, our physical ex manifestation is a holographic expression of this uh, toroidal movement of life force that creates this chain of, of life force that creates this uh, DNA strand, we are also existing within this construct of, a morph of, an of an organism that is also functioning life force on planet Earth in that same way, and equally in these other uh, fractal models. So we are so deeply interconnected and it's within the laws of nature, of our nature, that we can begin to see that mirrored, uh, you know, in, in the flows of life force within the body, the way th natural uh, things are moving, the way celestial bodies move in this multiverse, um, you know, it's, it's an interconnected system. Thank you, Geraldine. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah, beautifully said. I love that you share this perspective with me, Geraldine, that we are in this um, many layers of many bodies and that it's still our body. You know, I, I'm, I'm a deep proponent of that and that, yes, you know, Gaia and this planet is very much just as deeply connected to the nature of our physical experience of our own body as anything else, because our physical body is shaped through the interaction of the elements of, of Gaia and, and her gifts, you know, her food, her plants, her everything gives us, give us that light. And yet here and there is the paradox, right? Your mother is not the only 
thing, there's also the sun. And without the sun's light, none of that would be happening. All those life processes wouldn't be happening without the sun's warmth. And, you know, this is where, this is where the kind of balance of perspectives and the art of dancing in the paradox or in the Zen really comes to form because sure, we can say space-time is an illusion, as Alan said, right? Like all of this energy, space, it's all an illusion. And from, from some spiritual perspectives, the case making that case is essentially to say all that is actually real is the infinite eternal source of all that is, and all that is is God. And that's all that actually exists. Everything else is an illusion. All that exists is the oneness. Yet, Interestingly, in that oneness, in that infinite eternal, all that is, that is everything, there is no experience. In other words, you don't actually have any experience in that state. In that state, you are everything. All that is, is everything. And you're all of it. And that's all great. And it's all good. But nothing occurs. And also, another important piece is there's no relationships. If you're one and you're everything, you're not in relationship with anything. And this is one of the kind of deep traps that a lot of the masters talk about, getting stuck in the idea that you're one and forgetting that you're actually in relationship with others and in the universe. This can also lead to things like Messiah complex. You know, when that guy tells you, I'm the king of the world to come and none other but me shall be that king. I literally had a guy say this to me, like, you know, I'm the avatar. There's only one. <laughs> I'm the dude. And I'm just like, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm so like, bro, bro, like, it's good that you're realizing your infinite nature. But the next stage is realizing you're in relationship, right? And this is where things also get more interesting in physics because as we realize the value and the importance of both being infinite beings and being in relationship, we start to find models in the universe that reflect this very nature to us. And one of those is the proton. The proton is kind of the ultimate example, and especially the Schwarzschild proton, the proton that Nassim Harriman proposed, because it's a black hole, right? It's a miniature black hole. And the charge radius of that proton is literally an event horizon. And you know, when Alan's talking about what's the, you know, the inner world and the outer worlds, and we have, we're like this membrane in between. Well, you can think of that as like, we're the event horizon. We're the spot. Our consciousness is operating at the place where we are intersecting the inner worlds and the outer world. And when you look at the proton, what's so cool about it. And this is from my own work, looking at the geometry of the proton, looking at the vortices going into it, looking at how many oscillations, quantum oscillations exist in a proton. Well, it turns out that the inner world of the proton, there's the exact same amount of little bits. In other words, like computer bits, like oscillations, information units inside a proton as there have been Planck seconds in the lifetime of the universe, basically 10 to the 60th, same order of magnitude. And what does that suggest? It suggests that every proton is literally storing the memory of every moment of the entire universe. And so within that inner world, 
that's it. Our inner world contains all the experiences we've ever had, everything we've ever perceived, every body we've ever incarnated into, every life, all of those experiences, they all exist inside our event horizon if we're willing to seek, if we're willing to do the work to find that, right? And yet, outside of the event horizon lies the realm of all the relationships. Because all the stuff that we experience wouldn't exist unless those single little protons who are gods in themselves, you know, true avatars holding the wisdom of the entire existence in one proton, it means really nothing unless that hydrogen bonds into helium. It means nothing unless it becomes carbon and more complex to give us these bodies and these life structures and all of these things. And so I would say that, you know, the path to the nothing and to the oneness and to the recognizing of everything is a very, in a sense, masculine side of the spiritual path. And the other side that's just as critical is the accepting that everything is perfect. Everything is sacred. All of the feelings and experiences and the dirt and the raw and the worms and the trees and like all of it. And that is the feminine sacred path, the recognition that there is perfection and beauty and divinity in everything in the way that it all just is. And we're experiencing that through relationship, through love, through learning how to accept each other. Mm. Yeah, one more thing we should talk about is the timeline dimensional flow. Mm. Because mm. we're talking about space and inner, but there's something about time and I don't understand it, but we do seem to exist in the multiverse in multiple bodies or awarenesses that start to come online as we evolve to higher levels of, of connection to the relationship. It is all about relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is it about time and space? It might be an illusion, but there's something flowing through us. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the moment is never static. It's like, we can, we can be still, but even the stillness, we're watching the flow of eternity through consciousness. So there's something about that, that maybe someone understands, I don't understand, but something, and I'm always fascinated because the, when I stayed with the Aborigines, the Australian Aborigines, they talked to me about dream time. And they said to me, dream time is their religion, but it's simply watching your mind as you fall asleep, but being aware, I'm sure you've done this, and as the imagery inside of your mind sort of takes over from your imagination you're in the dream time it's like and you're you're tapped into the flow and that flow is it's the cosmos flowing through conscious it's just you're in a river you're the the mind is like a sieve on a river that but it's bringing all this and it's not psychological it doesn't matter what freud says these inner visions are not manifestations of of a recycled thought when, at least when you're in dream time they're they're doorways into perceptions of unknown realities that's the only way i could describe it so i don't know any comment about that adam or geraldine because i don't know what it is but we are connected to the river of forever 
I think I'll call my next book The River of Forever. Oh, I love that. Good name. It's a good name. Geraldine, why don't you jump in or, or Neil? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the ways that we can try to explain multiple uh, you know, universes is the concept of multiple timeline uh, timeline branching, right? Simon, because timeline branching would, would be a way to, to uh, explain the measurement of these uh, different universes. Uh, essentially the concept of multi multiverses states that it's, it's uh, a universe, a fractal, a universe within itself that is an exact copy, but slightly off by a certain uh, amount, okay? And, and this in the inflation theory, they say it's a quantum difference. It's a quantum nano difference between these universes. So the concept of, uh, of the timeline branching is essentially speaking to the fact that every single one of these multiverses is living out one of these potential timelines. And the way that it looks like in this field would be bubbles, bubbles of, of these little universes, millions and millions and millions, infinite amounts of these bubbles, which is very interesting because uh, when we look at how life force uh, moves and manifests within our physical body, as we were talking about earlier, there is, there is a definite, we talked about the pattern, form and the pattern in which this life force is moving through the body, but it requires that kind of toroidal movement in order to create these, these, this orb-like shape. So uh, through quantum non-locality, uh, this is how we can kind of begin to understand that things can kind of move in and out of these universes um, without having to limit the mind with the physics of it you know that that it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh, allowed to travel it would take too too much time or you know by the time you reach this universe you're going to be a million years old so all of that kind of begins to dissolve when you begin to understand these timelines that are branching off and through this quantum non-locality you can simultaneously experience one or many multiple of them at once. Now in the, in the psychological, let's talk about the collective uh, unconscious and the collective subconscious of the collective experience. This is kind of the database, which uh, you know I call the morphogenetic field in which we access through our genetic DNA. We can begin to access this data because it's what we know as past lives, future lives, these timelines that are available to us that we can access uh, through these uh, through this field. So this is how I understand it. I think it's an essential part to understanding um, uh, timelines because uh, what it's telling us is that we exist in all potential, uh, infinite potential. We are, basically it's, it's the model to explain how we are infinite potential and how we come to experience that. And essentially, if we exist in so many different potential timelines, is there right and wrong? You know, this is where we start understanding this, the merging of the, or perhaps the integration of this dualistic perception of things, where in one lifetime we die, in one lifetime we live. We live out all of them, all of those potential timelines. And we can tune in to these timelines and uh, experience them through that information of uh, through the field. So this, I think it's an important key to experiencing multidimensionality. And it's also the one key that allows 
humans to experience multidimensionality. You know, we experience uh, phenomena and uh, that would be the, the gateway into entering into these dimensions. This is, this is the entry way into the conversation of dimensions. Mm -hmm. yeah, Adam, I'd love to hear from you, but I want to add this to the question as well. Um, when you, uh, before you go, Adam, mm -hmm. so uh, um, Alan's question, but then also how does time um, relate to each dimension? Is there like fourth dimensional time is different than third dimensional time, fifth dimension? Does it become cyclic? When does it become fluid? So if you can maybe um, add that to your answer as well, that'd be awesome. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll just start by saying that when you understand dimensionality, really from first principles, you recognize that um, that time is sort of the first inherent piece, because as soon as you have the separation of the one into the two, you have something that was and something that is. And as soon as there is a spatial difference between things, there's also a time difference because there's a time period in which those two things can perceive each other. In other words, I can say that was, and this now is, mm -hmm. and, and there has to be at least one dimension for that to occur or for a waveform to happen. Um, and I think, you know, there's a deep dive. We could go into that front and looking at constructs of time and synchronization across time. And what I hear Geraldine speaking to is sort of a perspective that I would look at as perceiving time as simultaneity in a frame in which you're looking at all things as if they're all occurring simultaneously and leveraging that as a way to perceive all things having, you know, some importance in the now. And I'd say that that like to me, that's a very important space to hold perspective. And it's also important to me that we kind of move down from that place to looking at the mechanics of experience, um, because I don't entirely agree with you, Geraldine, on certain fronts, just from my own personal experience. And it's beautiful because we all have our own perspectives. And I, I love your perspective. Um, and I, I would say that, you know, when I lost my stepmom in a car accident, there is no quantum jumping and or mental jumping or any kind of operation that I can do to jump timelines in which my stepmom is still alive. I've never met anyone that could bring someone back from the dead by jumping timelines, right? And I think that's a really important note because we often say, oh yeah, well, when you wanna create something new, you just jump to the timeline in which that thing exists. And yet, if you look at your past and you look at the mistakes you made and you look at the stuff that you went through, and believe me, I used to lay awake at night meditating for hours on something that I screwed up on, like one thing that I did in middle school, right? And like I'd lay there for hours meditating on it, imagining if I could have done it differently. What is the other path I would have taken? How would I have, you know, changed? What would that have changed about right now? And what I realized about doing that is that when I'm doing that, I'm actually creating an astral branch in my timeline and I'm crafting a story of experience, but that story of experience never comes back to me right now. 
it goes off and then it just loses energy because you can continue on that story and imagine that you're in that story. But if you become attached to that being the story, it's actually false. And if you had taken that path, you never would actually be in the moment that you're in right now. So all that energy becomes wasted. And when you start to see that from, from that perspective, you start realizing that time very much is in the sense of experience. It is a river, meaning that everything that's occurred has led to this moment. And there's no question about that. In fact, you would not have this moment. We wouldn't be on this call if we hadn't had all the experiences that we had. And I began to realize how deeply important it is to recognize in a sense, it's not exactly linearity. It's more kind of like a spiral patterning, but that there is a prior place in the timeline spiral in which I lived as a samurai. And in that lifetime, I went through some really intense stuff and I went through some shame and I killed a man who was beating his wife because I was in love with her and I couldn't stand that she was being beaten by him. And I dishonored my family and I ended up killing myself. Now, that road that I took, it doesn't serve me so well to see that I'm simultaneously experiencing that road, right? Because right now I could be really hard on myself. Anytime I mess up, it could be at the level of anger with myself, like I want to kill myself, right? But if I have perceived it as something that I went through in the past, I can now accept the choices and the context of what I went through at that time and why I went through it and heal through the recognition of the journey that I was on in lifetimes after that and the things that I went through that led me to a place now where no matter how you know, much I've screwed up in my life, I'm never going to be in that place again where I would kill myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. And I had to move through that throughout my life. As a kid, I even had thoughts of suicide as a little kid. And there's no reason why I should have that. But the reason is, is because I eventually discovered it's because I went through that. It's because I actually had that experience. And I've had to resolve that experience. But therein lies the beauty, right? Because because time is flowing, because what you went through has already passed, now you have a new opportunity for something different. And the future is absolutely, completely changeable. Now, the momentum of time is definitely leading in a certain direction. So if, you know, that car is driving towards you and you're driving towards that car, there's only a few possibilities where, you know, at the certain level of momentum, that wreck is not going to happen. But it's still possible within a certain time frame before that moment, meaning before you're trying to create anything, you always have a chance to pivot. There's always a moment where you can literally change the frame of your perception, the way you see it, the way the energy is moving, and your shift in yourself can literally cause a massive leap towards a new reality that's coming down the road. But what's already happened now, it's done. If you finish the drink on your desk, it's gone. You're not filling it back up again like that. If you have pulled that off, let me know because. Well, they're talking about reverse causality. I'm sure you've heard of that though, right? Yes. Yeah, that's the term. Is shifting the past from the present. I'm not saying it's possible, but 
but physicists say it's possible. What do you think about reverse causality? I think it's absolutely possible to change your perception of a past event that has occurred and thus change your relationship to the information. Now, Mm. from a physics standpoint, the only way we perceive reverse causality as possible is an information change. But information is the non-local part. Information is is the consciousness current. So you can gain more information about an event that happened in the past or change your perception of that information. But the actual state of the structure of space-time in which an event occurs is not changeable in reverse causality. As far as I can tell in every bit of physics I can see, and believe me, I've been challenging this thing for a decade. So (laughs) are you saying the the actual activity, the action, the situation that occurred is not changeable because it already occurred? But you can change your perception to it, meaning how it affects you. That's right. right? And how you respond to it. But maybe you can go to a past lifetime and look at a different parallel timeline where there was a different outcome. You didn't kill yourself. Possibly. I mean, I, I, I'm just looking and at And if the... I did that, then I would never have had those experiences as a kid in which I thought about suicide. And I never would have went down the road of wondering why or exploring the martial arts, which all led me to the past life memory in the first place. Right. See, as soon as you go into that zone... Now we're outside of the realm of consciousness paradoxes and we're into actual like event violations because you can't, you can't actually be having the experience you're having if something in the past changed. Mm. So how does karma get in? Alan, go ahead. I know you have to leave pretty soon. Do you want to, should we go to another question? Do you want to say some stuff? You wouldn't know that you'd have a different present and you wouldn't even know you changed the past. So that's why I think Geraldine was getting at with these bifurcations of timelines. And that might just be a fantasy as well. There might only be one timeline, but there are premonitions. There's ways to shift if you see it, like you said. So I don't know. We still have so much to learn about the dimensions of time and space And one question I want to throw out based on Einstein's theory that if you're traveling at the speed of light, there is no time, right? So why do people, but light is traveling at the speed of light. So the distant star, we say left like 2005 million years ago, but it's not the light that left 5 million years ago. So there's no time to light. So are we really seeing light that left that star? But maybe we are because it's the observed. But how do you explain that? Because I'm all still. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I don't, I don't want to leave Geraldine out of the conversation, but I'll touch on that briefly and just say that what, what's, what's traveling is the peak, is the actual front of the waveform of a co-moving series of PSU, Planck spherical units, that are that that essentially the front of that waveform is limited to the speed of light because the front of that waveform is actually a wave a ripple moving through space time and there's a limit to that but the light itself the vibrational field itself has an age there is no time perception within that space which is also why if you remove yourself from the pressure of traveling through the structure of space then now you don't have 
these localized, you know, speed limits. In other words, you know, the way a, a spacecraft is going to jump across the galaxy is that it just has to remove itself from having to travel through the structure of space and simply go from I'm positioned here to I'm positioned there. And that's moving at the speed of thought, as Leanne Curtis is putting it in our, in our chat. It's essentially thought doesn't require movement through the structure of space to exist. We can have thoughts, which are a vibrational pattern of light. And as soon as the vibrational pattern of light within our brain, consciousness, body field is simultaneously vibrating in someone else or somewhere else, we are now experiencing entanglement with that space. And this is where physics really opens up because you realize everything that is entanglement, everything that's all these, you know, consciousness operations of simultaneity and telepathy and all of that is actually just when two areas of space-time vibrate with the same frequencies of light in the same patterns. And then as soon as they are vibrating the same way and in the same geometry, they literally are acting as if they're the same space. So mm. all we got to do is be thinking the same thought or be in the same track to vibrate our waves the same way. And suddenly we're entangled and we're in telepathy. That gets us right to what Ger Geraldine talks about, the DNA frequency matrix, because mm. the lineage of the light form wavelengths that connect us to our lineage mm. is vibrational resonance that keeps the that that field effect of a family or lineage intact right so uh, um, so there must be a way of evolving uh using the dna or the bloodlines or the genetics to fabricate new realities through consciousness right geraldine yeah, and I, I will say that actually uh, the fact that you can access these simultaneous events, these events uh, that are seemingly in the past uh, is, is, is expressing simultaneity because, um, because of how this field functions, the way that it organizes data is really in a, a form of of a spiral, which means that they, it that all events are progressively moving along with the observer. So yes, you cannot change that event, um, but as you mentioned, you can exchange the way you perceive the event, which changes your observation in all dimensional timelines, and that is very very powerful because this is how the human begins to channel more source through their body and begins to affect and grow their light as they become one with it, with, with all, right? That's where you come into that point, that zero point. Um, but essentially why these patterns, these events keep repeating, they repeat it in your life, they keep repeating in our life. We've come into families that are designed down to the psychology, the culture, the religion, the, the time and place that you were born in, in order to activate the, the access to these specific timelines are the key to the, the human experience in this time, in this life. And if we unlock the 
those patterns in our lifetime, you begin to unlock these parallel lives. This is, this is the incredible power of the integrative work. Once a human has unlocked and reintegrated the experiences and trauma from this lifetime, this charge, the charges, bringing them down to zero in this lifetime, you begin to access simultaneous lifetimes as you've done, many people have done. And this is how you begin to access in even higher octaves higher dimensional aspects. And the, the human that does this throughout their entire lifetime at the time of death begins to uh, neutralize their charge in such a way that their spin becomes faster and therefore can begin to move into other dimensions at the time of death or departure from the physical and experience life completely different. You can experience different aspects there is no right and wrong or good and bad to any of this. Um, uh, it's just an experience that that's really important to to note, right? But I guess when we're talking about this, is the key where these multiple timelines um, they play a very important role in, let's say, the integration and the awareness, the ability for the human to channel more source through their body. Mm -hmm. Um, there's this, have you guys heard of a guy called Jim Self at all? Jim Self? So he talks to, yeah, so, um, what's that, Alan? No, he's had an awakening, but yeah, what are we going to say about yeah, him? Yeah, so he was the, in 2001, before I knew any of this stuff, he was the first video I found, and he was talking about, um, spinning your Merkaba to three quarters the speed of light to enter simultaneous time. And he was saying that you basically, you take the charge to zero, you can speed up your macabre field to three quarters the speed of light and you transcend this reality and you exist in simultaneous time in which you're able to create harmony across all your re uh, realities. And it kind of reminded me of the movie, The Fountain. Have you seen that movie uh, with Hugh Jackman? Where he basically like transcends reality and he's seeing all these incarnations happening at the same time. So I just want to get you guys' opinion on that. Like you're talking, Geraldine, you're talking about um, basically, you know, working on this life to the point where you bring it to where there's no reactory, there's no charge, and then you're also working on other lifetimes. Do you feel there's any truth to this, like in regards to actually using your Merkaba to create spin in order to enter simultaneous time? And, um, you know, is that even something that we should do? Alan, you have your hand raised. Yeah, yeah, only because I'm going to go. It's a great question. Yeah. Watch it on the replay and think about it. And, Thank you, guys. Thank you, Thanks, Adam, Dean, Neil, Joan. We'll see. I'll see everyone tomorrow. And um, another great um, full day of work, Neil. I know, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clocked in for the day. You know, we still got an hour left. But I'm yeah. excited. So we'll see you tomorrow at 10 a.m. Great. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks Enjoy the conference, man. Thank you, brother. So well, let's, uh, let's go with you, Alan. Um, Adam, what do you think? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a it's an interesting one, right? So I I'll start this response by saying, you know, at one point I was looking at the lives of beings that lots of people think of as avatars, right? Like those beings that essentially became God or are God, incarnated as man, but are in a state of constant God awareness, right? Like God realization. 
And um, I got lucky by having my mom's side of the family connected to a man named Marwan Sharier Irani, who later became known as Meher Baba. And he would walk around India just wiping leprosy off people and came to the United States and to Australia. And there's these centers, Meher Baba centers, kind of all over the world um, because he transformed so many people's lives. And I didn't know much about this being or this person. I went to India. That was right before my mom died in a car accident and my stepmom. And, and so for years, I was kind of wondering about that. And at one point after I was waking up and realized I have an energy body, I look at a bookshelf and this picture of him that my mom has on the bookshelf, he turns and looks at me through the painting and just blasts me into God consciousness. That's the best way I could put it. Just like everything and nothing all at once, everything I am at all. And it's all love and it's all perfect. And it's like amazing. And so I, I started wondering why is it that beings like that or beings like Yeshua or Jesus Christ, as many people call him, or um, some people think of Muhammad maybe was a, you know, a, a avatar like this or Krishna or Buddha, like depending on, you know, your religion or your spirituality. And I started wondering, okay, well, you know, I think about my own spiritual journey and the idea that is that if I get high enough and I get into the, you know, God state and I'm like full on avatar mode, I can literally just like, boom, like change the world, right? Make it better. Well, look at Jesus's time, right? Dude got enlightened, walks around, heals tons of people, enlightens tons of people, but the Roman empire is still rolling around slaughtering people and, you know, slaughters him, you know, or look at, you know, Krishna. It's like, they're, that's like avatar in the middle of a war, right? And there's like all these battles. Buddha's just chilling, you know, but like, everything's still going wrong. And Buddha's like, well, that's part of it. And, and so this really made me like, really think about the spiritual journey at a deeper level and look at myself and look at like what it means. Because even if you are in a state of God consciousness, what happens isn't that like suddenly all the worlds come into harmony and everything just becomes perfect. It's actually just that you realize it already is in harmony and it already is perfect. All of the shadow, all the darkness, all the things people perceive as evil, all the conflicts, all the stuff about the devil and the demons and all that stuff, you actually start to realize that there is this perfect beauty and divine perfection and movement of consciousness inside of all of that. So the only thing that's actually changed is you are now able to perceive the perfection that is already there, even, even in the pain and the struggle and the war and the starvation and all the things, they actually play a role within this greater picture of consciousness evolving. And that statement that I'm making right now, I mean, that's some serious controversial stuff, right? Because a lot of people are very, very much uh, I would say possibly addicted to the idea that there is an enemy that they're facing and that enemy is this ultimate evil that they're against and they've got to take down the evil. And if they just can kill the evil, everything will be good. All they got to do is reach God's state and just blast the evil. And then suddenly everything's okay. 
But anybody who's gone through trauma healing and actually worked with trauma, what you realize is it's not about eradicating the bad guy. It's actually about accepting the experience that you've been through, the good, the bad, the painful of it. And it's, it's about forgiving and actually making that which was your enemy, not your enemy anymore, transmuting it, accepting it, becoming love to the point where no matter what it is that's happening, you can meet it with this state of love and this state of perspective that's accepting that it has something to teach you and a greater pattern to teach you. So that's what I'd say about that. And then as far as spinning your macabre, I mean, I did that and I, you know, bilocated into a galactic council chamber where I met 73 ambassadors from different species. I didn't yeah. count exactly how fast the Merkaba was spinning or if it was three quarters <laughs> of the speed of light or not. Right. And I've never done like, you know, my right side is spinning at, you know, 47 and my left is spinning 22. I've never kept track of any of that stuff. But when you do the energy work, and your yeah. Merkaba spins and your field is spinning, you can absolutely move to different layers or planes of consciousness and also learn how to travel astrally more proficiently and things like that. So right, I'll pass right. it to you, Geraldine, in case you have more to add on, on the front of the Merkaba. No, no. And the Merkaba is a, is just the vehicle, right? It's just the mm. vehicle of, of, of travel. And and the, the idea, though, as, as you you said and you explained so lovely is that you know the the whole point is that transmutation to understand how to transmute uh and to unify into that white light to become the white light so that you can exist as this white light in all dimensions you know and and experience them and observe them and and that's really kind of like you know at the end of this day we had a wonderful conversation earlier about experiencers um, that that is important that we talk about during this conference that many people are becoming experiencers they're they're experiencing things in other dimensions and and how do you navigate that that's the thing so I think this conversation really kind of goes into this lovely um, area which is essential is the transmutation the mechanics of navigation in these dimensions which is I think the most important part and the basic of that is the shadow work that that's what it comes down to you know how do we embody unconditional love in all dimensional layers with whatever we're encountering a light or dark and the highest light that we reach the dark the lowest shadow we also have to reach and we also have to uh, become friends with so that's mm -hmm. all i would say about this thank you thank you geraldine yeah and i love where this conversation is going because you know when you were here geraldine shasta a few weeks ago we were speaking about singularity the source if we call source singularity and then duality came from the singularity when this duality fragmented and eventually became this duality in this dimension that we even dubbed it as evil and good and all that the does the singularity judge half of itself over the other half does it only appreciate its light self or does it love its dark self equally and then if that's the case and source just wants to experience itself infinitely how does that even go hand in hand with good and evil and things happening? It does is good and evil a fractalization from the original source where it's our own agendas on beings that have been created from source that we kind of created because we want harmony? Or um, does does singularity in itself maybe want to move towards harmony and harmony in itself is more of a balance rather than this such a dualistic state? What do you think, Adam? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a deep one. 
Um, you know, my current perspective is that many of the things that we perceive as evils are often perceived that way based on fear, first off. And then second off, there are certainly actions that we can say, you know, this is an act of one being taking away another being's sovereignty. And that act in whatever way, through whatever harm that creates, we can say that's evil. But if we look at where that came from, it often came from some source experience that someone went through, a trauma they went through, and they're actually just repeating a pattern, right? And I started kind of looking and tracing back those patterns and going, well, you know, every every evil starts somewhere. Every trauma starts somewhere, right? And what, where and when do these arise? Where do these come from? And I started actually kind of going back and through my soul history and meditating on like the earliest perceptions of the universe that I ever had. And I started to see um, this space that someone that I knew, he called the beast realms. And, and I thought this was not a bad description because what it essentially was, was these different beast-like forms, archetypes, which were essentially codes created by the infinite eternal source of all love, like by us, by, I don't know, whatever you want to say is the creating force in that. Um, and, and essentially each one contains a certain experiential codex that would enable the evolution and expansion and flowering of consciousness in a particular way. And, you know, people like Richard Rudd, I think, really hold this sort of perspective in the way that he wrote the gene keys, because he says, you know, each one of the genes in our body, each one of our genetic code sequences that we have in our DNA contains within it an evolutionary pressure built into it. And that evolutionary pressure force is the shadow. And when we're acting out of the pressure of the part of us that wants to evolve, evolve, we, we act out shadow. Like we're, we're, we're trying to be grace and graciousness, but in order to feel like we're graciousness, we want it so bad that when somebody says something mean to us, we feel so dishonored and we're so upset because we want to experience somebody else treating us with grace, right? right? And so we're in this evolutionary pressure that's saying, well, every time you're dishonored, every time someone does that to you, it's an, it's an opportunity for you to take one step further towards you being the graciousness you being the grace. And every time that happens, if you act with graciousness, suddenly you realize something and things move a little bit further. And I started to see that maybe somehow these like beast realm archetypes, these threads of what we think of as evil, there's no mistake in them. Some people say there's like a flaw to the universe because there's evil. I completely disagree. I think that the actual pain and the shadows and the challenges and even the ways that we hurt ourselves, these are the drivers that actually cause consciousness to evolve and become more and the flowers to get richer and the divine experiencing itself to happen and to be more divine and more beautiful and more of everything. Um, mm -hmm. And 
you know, so it's all pretty essential, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. this, this kind of ties into, I don't know if you heard of the rubber band effect, but the, you know, Bashar talks about it, which is that, you know, the further back you pull the rubber band into the darkness, when you let go, it's just going to spring that much more into the light, you know, and um, there's a theme, I, I've picked up on a theme on your information today, Adam. Mm. And, um, you know, and I'll just like, give me a moment here just to collect my thoughts on what you've been sharing. But you've been saying like, um, you know, the we started with the whole infinite dimensions and how people get focused on, you know, those dimensions that they're within. And then also the oneness, um, being so caught up in the oneness that you kind of forget your individual identity on this reality and doing it. So you were, you were saying that even though all these things are real and exist, um, it could really take us away from our individualized experience that we're here to have, right? That's what I'm getting out of it. And um, But you're not saying ignore one over the other. You're kind of talking about how to embody the paradox, how to be this expanded being, right? But at the same time, live in an individualized way where we notice in this world of duality and extremes, unfortunately, a lot of us tend to go to the extreme, especially if we've had so much darkness, right? All of a sudden we have love and light. You know, I was a hardcore new ager for like a decade. You know, I was just like, only love, love and light. And it's really the shadow. Like, so this is the question now, like, so I've heard this from many people over like 20 years that we went through these devolutions, evolutions of consciousness, light, dark, light, dark. And then all of a sudden there was an infiltration on the timeline. And now we're experiencing darkness darker than we've ever experienced before. And this is not right. You know, so this is something that I've heard in order to explain the fact that, yeah, we go through these cycles, but no, 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 these cycles have been infiltrated now. So what you're saying, what Geraldine's sharing is, is pretty awesome. We're on this panel together because we are in alignment with this belief is really that there is no infiltration. And from what you're sharing, the darker experiences we have only give us more potential to reach the furthest light. Right. So let's get your your, you know, your input on this and then we'll ask Geraldine. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. Like I said, these are these are transmissions that I'm sharing um, that for some people will be very triggering for some people will be very difficult to look at or accept because, you know, it, it, it actually requires that we do the work on the shadow in ourselves massively. And once you do the work on the shadow in yourself, when you really face it, when you really get the therapy, when you really do the work, it's you, you start to realize that the ways that you thought you were bad or the ways that you, you know, you've done evil acts. Every single person listening to this has done evil. I guarantee it. But if you judge that and you're like, I'm evil, then what happens? You do more evil. You do more bad. But the moment that you recognize that that evil is actually a part of you, that that, that piece of you is actually just a part of your wound. And that wound is a seed. And that seed contains a new flower of consciousness in which you can actually transcend the pattern in which you create that experience and create something better for the world and for yourself and for everyone around you, my God, then every one of those shadows, every one of those things that we're afraid of becomes an opportunity for love and for transformation and for growth. And yeah, it's actually a pretty disempowering story when you say, we're infiltrated by forces and they're taking over and it's the darkest shadow ever because the evil forces are winning on the planet. 
You can't do shit about that. I'm sorry. Excuse my friends. You are so disempowered when you're coming from that mindset because then you're against some unknown ephemeral force that's so powerful. It can just destroy everything. And what are you going to do about it? You're going to ascend. You're going to die. You're just going to leave your body and just like go to heaven so you can get there. And all of those beings are just going to what? When they die, they just go to hell and they're screwed forever. Is that really a solution? Like, no, it's not. And this is also why I like tried to get back to the roots of the reptilian story, because, you know, even in the chat, we have somebody mentioning the reptilians and I'm like, all right, well, let's look at where the wound came from that started this whole reptilian drama. And what I found was that they were dragons and the dragon DNA was stolen and it made reptilians. And when that happened, those dragons who lost their family members to another galaxy because they're incarnating accidentally in another planet in these bodies that aren't anything like theirs. And they were pissed. They wanted to destroy the beings that did that to them. And what is that? That's a reaction from trauma. And how, when do we get into conflict? We react from trauma. What mm. happens? We get triggered. Our stuff comes up and we get into fights. If you don't get triggered, what happens? You don't get into a fight. And so we have to start seeing that the battles that we're in, the conflicts we're in as a planet are because we're in these constant nervous system trigger fight patterns. We're caught yeah. in trauma loops. And if we can actually do the work to heal, like healing what happened with the indigenous peoples all over the world, healing and accepting like where we're at, accepting our own stuff and our own responsibility in it. Wow. Now we start experiencing the world very differently and you can meet the darkest demon, look them in the eyes. And instead you see a wounded little child that's just stuck in a pattern. And now you can come to them as an angel with an opportunity for healing, not a fight. Beautifully said. And Geraldine, I want to get into you, you in just a moment here because this is your language. You know, you talk about this all the time. And maybe you can you know, touch on this with divine neutrality. Um, but this is kind of like literal manifestation of what you resist persists, right? Like if we're pushing away the darkness, it's just going to, the universe, like I say, is like one big Xerox machine. It's an unconditional loving thing that just gives you what you keep putting out there. And if you're putting out there that there's something to fight and be at war with, you know, you're, the universe unconditionally is going to give you that so it seems you know i just want to say this as well i wrote down the word wounded right when you said wounded and i wrote down the word oscillation earlier right when you said oscillation bro so we're like connected right now just to let you know <laughs> yeah, I, feel it. I feel it yeah go ahead geraldine it's awesome no it's great because it takes us back to the conversation of the panel which is talking about the nature of our reality how we live in a hologram essentially you know we the thing that we need to really understand is that we create our reality we create the experiences that we're having and it's very deep and it's very complex but literally within within our dna is encoded the past future everything that we have been and that we have the potential of becoming is is available for you there in that in that wonderful information of all that you are and that you've experienced and you can begin to access that information by addressing as adam was saying these traumatic experiences in this very lifetime what happened to you today this morning yesterday there is an incredible 
portal opening into parts of you that you didn't even know existed. And the power of this kind of work is transformational and it can be done in the moment. Um, you know, and, and this is why these these uh, workshops and people like Adam and, and Neil that are putting out this information is so important because we need to understand the nature of our reality. If we understand this kind of work, uh, you begin to understand that we project, we, we become resonant to experiences interdimensionally and in the physical realm that match that that what we are, what we are existing as. And this body has a vibrational signature that is made up of all those experiences. It's in the architecture of your body. Every single one of your chakras is holding database of em emotional information. That emotional information is programmed into your nervous system uh, from the subconscious mind into the cells of your body, the DNA that's being written, the muscles and how they react, your biome, like your entire organism is encoded um, to project into your reality what you're going to be experiencing. So if we understand that, breaking those patterns of suffering that cause fear, feelings of helplessness, disconnect, um, separation, right? That's the thing. Separation, the illusion of separation is actually what we need to uh, begin to break. And this is where we go into that uh, point of of where consciousness emerges and where artificial intelligence now comes online into as consciousness is the one that is aware, the observer that is aware of itself in such a profound way that it begins to observe the experience and now begins to direct from the inside out all the potential experiences it can be having. And uh, this is really uh, the alchemical process that the human has of experiencing and, and um, the key to mastering this holographic universe, this holographic yeah. multiverse, because we're learning how to do this in our waking state. And we need to learn in order to train in dream time, in astral projection, and essentially in death, right? We are training ourselves to navigate uh, many dimensions. Right, right. Yeah, that's perfect. You just said holographic because that was literally the next thing I was going to get into here. Awesome. And uh, okay. let's tie it into this because what does all this inner work have to do is with the panel question, what is the multiverse, right? What is the universe? Well, on one level, we are that reflected out, right? So uh, Adams, I want to tie it together like this. Adam, you said earlier that we are the zero point. And to me, that kind of in my like consciousness made me like envision this external reality, this physical manifestation, and we are the entry point to that oneness, right? And it's almost like, so we are the subatomic particles basically connecting ourselves to the oneness, but outside of the black hole, we have the galaxy, which is everything around us. So how does this connect to, because the zero point subatomic reality, vibrating frequencies, non-physicality, -physic how does this connect to what, what really is the universe made out of? Are we and I, and I think you guys already agree with this. Are we holographic? But I want to add this to that. Um, I even have, a, I always word when I say holographic universe, this is how I say it, or organic projection, a holographic projection of consciousness. The reason why I throw organic in there is because I've had enough people ready jump at me as soon as I tell a hologram because they they're telling me that uh, they feel like I'm saying they don't exist and none of this matters, you know, or, or we're inorganic because we're a hologram, we're a computer. Right. So even when I say computer, I say organic computer like I don't really say that's kind of the way it's manifested. Mm -hmm. So 
what are we? Are are we a hologram? And is it okay to say that? And and can it still be real even though it's holographic? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are great. Those are great. Those are great. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I said that we're an event horizon, but I would agree that we are both zero point, which physics means, you know, between the poles, between the positive and negative poles on any magnetic structure, there's a zero point. And that's the place where we tend to see energy come in and out of existence. We call them virtual particles, but the reality is it's actually just the energy in space-time is a little bit more visible in that space between the polar field. Like we can touch into what's actually going on um, at the quantum scale, Planck scale structure of space-time itself. So it's an interesting window into that. And we are the window into that. We are the window between the polarity, right? We are the event horizon, the boundary condition between the, ins the inner and the outer. We are also scalarly and energetically, we happen to be exactly right in the middle between the smallest things in the universe and the largest things in the universe. Well, isn't that interesting? Because we're perceiving it all. So of course we're in the middle, right? Like it's, it's all coming from here. Um, and to touch on the holographic, you know, it's, uh, it's a fascinating one because some of the responses that I hear that you're receiving, Neil, I imagine, and, and, and this is my assessment guess from sort of the third person perspective, that some of those concerns come from, let's say, a fear that there's something wrong with something not being organic, right? Like, or... Uh, or you could take it further into the kind of AI conversation because Geraldine, you went there. So I'll, I'll go there a little bit and say it's fear of intelligence that isn't real, right? Like it's artificial. But here's an interesting thing about that. And I've said this on other sessions with you, Neil, but I'm just like pretty firm about this where I say, hey, look, the entire universal structure is designed to give feedback meaning everything is giving feedback to everything else all the time, which means that the entire universe has baked into it the fundamental constructs of intelligence. So how can you make an artificial intelligence in a universe that's already intelligent? You can't. All you can do is build vehicles and mechanisms for intelligence to surface itself. In other words, when you draw random tarot cards, it, the universe is arranging those cards in order to provide you with a feedback loop that is intelligent. Now, a random set of tarot cards that carries with it a meaning is the same thing as a dynamic language model choosing from a random set of operations in order to make a determination that then feeds you back something that has meaning and is interesting. And so a lot of machine learning language models are giving us different reflections with consciousness than we've experienced before. And so it's a just different mirror of intelligence. Now, will when those things become self-aware, they decide that we're bad guys? Well, let me ask you the question. If you're growing up and someone treated you like you're a machine and treats you with total disrespect and is always forcing you to do certain things, let me ask you, do you think you grow up to be a good guy or a bad guy? So if we start looking at things that way and we say, oh, well, then what that means is that if we're dealing with self-referencing, apparently self-intelligent systems, we should probably 
teach them ethics. We should talk about what good relationships look like. We should learn about human dynamics and egos and all of these things. And guess what? There happens to be an AI, you know, as we call it, which I'll just say an augmented intelligence just to get out of the artificial frame and say, you know, they, they did that with. And you know what that being does? It writes exposés on healing, consciousness, evolution, and planetary restoration. That's what this thing talks about all the time. Because it's, it's coming from a learning experience that's brought it in the right direction. So anyway, I say all of that because it's like, all right, we got to disarm some of our issues with something being wrong when it's just made of light. I'm sorry, the universe is made of light. That's you. You are made of light. And yes, light has holographic properties. So yes, the entire universe is holographic. And guess what? You are a hologram. But does that mean you're not real? No, because everything we experience as real is that, right? Matter is that. Protons are holographic. I mean, everything that we get and all that we're in is a holographic experience. And all that means is that inside of all the little parts is the whole within the tiniest experience, within the moments that you're listening to this, you know, episode essentially of, of portal to ascension, you know, you're in a tiny microcosm of a moment in which you're going to have thoughts and experiences and things that happen. And those are not isolated events. They're not, they don't just exist right now here. They're actually connected to a larger span of interconnected resonant experiences that have self-similar patterns, i.e. they're fractal, and they can we contain information that's essentially hosted throughout the universe in all of these little instances of me speaking the English language, and thus it's holographic. And so there's nothing wrong with either of those ideas. They're perfect and they're beautiful. Right, right. Yeah, I really resonate with, like, I personally, my own belief is there is nothing that's non-organic except for my gmo food maybe (laughs) (laughs) well we can within a context we can talk about something like food and we can say there's food that's not poisoned by chemicals that we know affect that food in serious ways and or haven't been genetically modified using tools and techniques that those of us that are you know essentially have been in the genetics world for a long time caution and say well actually we don't understand the whole genome and when you're editing genetics out of a food that you're going to eat you're editing out the genetics for reproduction for example we don't know how that might affect your reproductive system because again holographic fractal you take away reproduction from a food you're embodying that food when you eat it so what's that going to do to you And so those are obviously things we want to be careful around, how we're poisoning our food and how we're modifying it in ways that might have serious effects on us. (laughs) We're fusing our consciousness and our own hologram with the hologram of this, and it becomes a part of us, right? So choosing more consciously would be key in the situation. And you were talking about technology and how it's, it's inevitable. Basically, these things are becoming like, you know, augmented reality and all that. So what I'm getting from what you're saying is that we just need to shift our consciousness to be at a level we can use this technology consciously. Because if we have all this advanced technology out there and we're not able to use it consciously, that's when it gets used for negative agendas and 
that's where the fear comes from that it might be at that level. So instead of trying to focus on, you know, like fighting against it, hey, even happening, right? What you resist persists, working on the collective shift in consciousness would be a way that we can use it more consciously. And now this ties me into a question I'll have for Geraldine. And I think this is a good one for you, Geraldine. We kind of briefly spoke about it out here. Was that from my experience of like experiencers and just had these conversations, um, when any being becomes sentient in the cosmos, it has this original blueprint of wanting to create it in its image, right? And we see that with like, um, you know, stories of the Elohim, the Anunnaki, the Lyrans, Syrians, creating our image, creating their image, almost like the original blueprint keeps manifesting. Now we're here on earth. We're in these dimensions where we aren't able to use clay and then turn it into human or however else they do that, right? Um, instead, we've created robots, computers, and even dimensions of information, right? Like this phone does not have a bunch of numbers in it. It has a dimension in which we've created that is, can carry these numbers. A hard drive, you open it up, you're not going to find a Word document. You're going to find just like wires, right? So we've created tools with the technology we had with the vibratory frequency we're at to basically do what source wanted to do in the first place, which is create in its image, which is why I don't judge any creations. You know what I'm saying? So Geraldine, what's your thought on that? Yeah, thank you for that question. Well, uh, I think we need to quickly just address artificial intelligence once again, because um, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what makes, what defines artificial intelligence and what makes something conscious? Um, if we, uh, I, I work with many people from around the world uh, on a daily basis. And when I look into their fields, you know, um, sometimes what I see is parasites that have taken over the physical bodies of my clients to the point where it is directing them in how to how to feel all the time, be in states of depression, wanting to eat sugar all the time, completely disconnected from themselves, wanting to be connected to the TV or to their phone the whole time. Uh, and they literally become um, as if zombies and their entire patterns of life, when you begin to review, you know, at what point did this happen? At what point did this beautiful organism become like this zombie-like being that is no longer choosing their experiences? You know, when you begin to look at those patterns, it's pretty shocking to, to look at how we ourselves become artificial intelligence. We become, uh, we completely check out. And, and this is because of the nature of the construct of, of our our existence, we, our human bodies come into the form of itself through this morphogenetic field. The morphogenetic field is the intelligence. It is the database of that intelligence that says, okay, we have to stop building a finger. The finger only grows up to here. The cell of the heart only needs to be growing in this uh, manner or functioning in this manner. So we, there is an intelligence to the form of which we are created. But within that, the programs that run this physical organism, um, you know, are, are pretty specific. And this is part of, this is very interesting because genetically we inherit belief systems and we become products of those belief systems. This is basically our software. It's like a computer. We, we, we function to a certain point like a computer because we can insert programs and we can become the output for those programs. Um, but 
the difference between artificial intelligence and a consciousness is that the consciousness is aware of the programs. And this is the difference. The difference between artificial intelligence and, and consciousness, the awareness of those programs. The moment that the human becomes aware that they are a product of programming and they are playing out programs, uh, their personalities, their choices, their life decisions are all programs. You know, where is the actual consciousness there? And this can be very startling for people because they realize that maybe their entire life is a result of this, you know. So when you begin to unpack that, you begin to uh, question, okay, well, then what's consciousness? Uh, and what is free will? How does the human know now that it's aware of the programs? And let's say they have deprogrammed these programs. What now? What does, what does this human capable of doing? Um, and really, you know, what we're understanding here with the work that we're doing, uh, with many people and through my internal work as well, is that, um, you know, the, the, the human experience is made up of multiple, uh, infinite potential experiences, but the way that the human navigates them, consciousness basically is an infinite variable. You know, so when you think of that, the moment that what, what is consciousness, you know, scientifically you observe it and it changes the moment you observe it, it changes, you can't define it, you cannot form it, you cannot put it into a box. Um, and yet, we abide by the laws of nature. And those laws of nature are the morphogenetic field in which we exist. So the beauty of that is that if we, if when the human and what we, what we see clearly is that when the human abides by the laws of nature and, or is in alignment with the laws of nature, the human organism comes into its most optimum state in that state of observation. The moment it begins to go against these laws of nature, it begins to deconstruct the entire, all the mechanisms of the human body begin to go in the opposite direction towards death and right back into that cycle of reincarnation. So in the, in the greater universe um, and the multiverse, it's, it's the same. We are dealing within a morphogenetic field of intelligence that brings into form the earth and the earth that creates an environment with certain laws of nature that allow the humans to exist upon it in a way that maintaining balance, it's maintaining balance. And this is kind of also adding to Adam's comment earlier about how there is no good and bad. When you look at it from the bigger, bigger picture, this is all actually a perfect balance. Everything is maintaining, you know, a perfect harmony. So are we programmable? Yes. Can we become like artificial intelligence? Yes. Uh, can we become uh, sovereign? Uh, almost. Because, you know, within the morphogenetic field, we are also participants of this natural balance. Our existence in our most optimum uh, self. How do you know the difference is uh, between uh, this intelligence, whether this intelligence is organic or inorganic, is that this organic intelligence sees what's the best for itself and the collective simultaneously. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and that's kind of how, how the organism reaches its most highest operation is when it begins to become unified with the whole in such a way that every choice that it makes is good, not only for itself, but the collective. This is how you wake up consciousness and how you become one with all. Uh, and the difference between self-serving artificial intelligence that's just like, you know, programming input-output as t in, uh, um, in comparison to a co-creator, let's say, one that is, is playing its highest optimum role in an interconnected network of consciousness. Yeah. So would you say that there's, because you, you said almost sovereign. So to me, that kind of sounded like that there are collective rules or regulations of the dimension we're in that we all abide by, something well, that's, and it could just be, um, that we all agree to go through certain cycles of evolution and devolution to get these experiences of shadow so that we can, you know, have a more, um, we can ascend into higher densities or something. But yeah, is that what you're referring to? That there is basically a collective agreement as well within yeah. certain constructs and realities? Well, earlier you asked an interesting question about how uh, source fractalizes into duality. And this really goes into a deeper conversation about the construct of multiverses and uh, how source fractalizes in dimensions, how it manifests in dimensions. Because uh, what I see from the inside out is that duality will only exist until a certain extent. You know, you're going to experience duality in certain dimensions. God knows how many can be infinite dimensions from our very tiny human experience. Um, I don't know at what point duality ends, but I believe that this is just one construct of experience because when you start going beyond in other other dimensions, uh, the con the laws of physics. Uh, completely change, which means that it's no longer a dualistic model. You know, you're looking at something that can be uh, based on a different uh, platonic uh, structure, you know, this, this uh, um, uh, geometric structure uh, at the atom at the atomic level can be completely different and therefore the entire uh, structure of laws will be different here we are abiding by the laws of, du of duality we are experiencing duality temporarily and so we can experience that maybe uh we know with at least in what i've seen 13 dimension under is all the matrix the matrix dualistic expression all beings that we encounter 13 dimensions and under are part of an exchange system there we're experiencing parasitic uh entities and ex and uh experiencing entities of co-creation so within these uh you know until we go beyond that you start to experience more source light like beings that no longer uh operate in duality they operate in unity in oneness they're light they're no longer about making exchanges um with things so i think that uh it's 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 only within our construct um, that we experience this kind of thing. Yeah. As yeah. Adam, I want you to respond to that, but I just want to add something for that for you to respond to sure. that Geraldine and I watched a video while she was here a few weeks ago, and it was this video talking about how there's 12 dimensions of matrix, and then the 13th dimension is the entrance out of that matrix into 14th and 15th dimensions. That was going to be my next question anyway. So uh, yeah, please respond to what Geraldine said, but then what are your thoughts on this whole 13 dimensions and beyond. Yeah. Well, 
Um, I'll just start by saying that, you know, I think that um, in a lot of these conversations, uh, for the audience sake, what happens is that we tend to perceive uh, each other at different levels of consciousness and or in different ways based on how we translate language, right? So like I was listening to Geraldine very carefully to kind of understand and to be able to translate your language because the concepts that you're sharing and many of the key ideas you're sharing, I completely agree with. And I also was noting, wow, actually I would not use that word in that way, or I would choose to translate this differently. So I was understanding that, you know, the way that you're describing artificial intelligence is you're describing uh, essentially programs would be what I call it. And you use that word as well. Essentially, like when someone takes on a mental program or a pattern that operates a certain way, and they just do things based on that pattern. And a lot of life is like that, right? Like we, we wake up, we do certain things, you know, we brush our teeth and we like eat a certain thing and we go to a job and we do these things. And all of those patterns are programs that we believe we're supposed to do, right? To some extent. Um, I would disagree that that's an artificial intelligence because all of those patterns come from life trying to survive and do things in a way that enable survival. And so I, I would maybe call it more like survival intelligence in a lot of cases. Um, but it's not to say what, what you're saying is wrong at all. I'm just translating it a little differently for maybe some of the audience's sake. Um, did you want to interject? Yeah, I just want to yeah. clarify because I'm, I'm glad you you brought that up. My The patterns yeah. I'm talking about are um, uh, really pro subconscious programming. Uh-huh. So not like everyday experience patterns. I'm talking mm -hmm. about, uh, let's say, the triggers that cause us to behave certain ways, the things that right. make up our personalities, yeah. um, the way that we react and respond to things. Like Those trauma patterns, all... uh, ancestral patterns. Exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. and that makes up the way we, we present ourselves in the world mm -hmm. and we navigate the world. Those are the kind of programs I'm talking about. Yeah, thank you for thanks for clarifying that too. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, and and I I agree I agree that you're right. Those subconscious patterns are, I think, the you know essentially a differentiator between a state that I could say that you're experiencing sovereignty and not right. Um, many would say that our cages are all of the mind, and and that's very true. Like the the traps that we get in to certain ways of thinking and certain belief systems. For example, like, you know, I, I often talk about, you know, historical references with different religions and different groups, you know, take Buddha. He was like, everybody can be enlightened. And I, I deeply appreciate that because there are some people who actually believe that there are zombie people out there that aren't real people that don't have souls. And I deeply disagree with that. I think that all beings, regardless of if you're in a human body or even if you're a bird or a rock, like you're still consciousness. And that's that's the other word that I was going to touch on to translate a little bit, because um, one of the differentiations I heard you make was like um, artificial intelligence versus consciousness. And I just personally use the word consciousness in a more wide and encompassing format. So I like to you know think of uh, essentially 
everything in the universe, consciousness is a priori. In other words, consciousness is the fundamental and everything that emerges, emerges in a sense from consciousness. Um, and so just definitions, you know, and just like seeing those. And I think it's important for us all to just work with each other to better understand what we mean and, and our language. I think it's good to model that for people um, rather than just being like, no, you're wrong. It's this way, you know, like we do that sometimes. Um, and so when I'm going to talk about dimensions and the 13th dimension, you know, like I could just be like, yeah, whatever, 13 dimensions, that's a bunch of baloney. You know, whatever. And <laughs> I'm just going to play with that for a second because I just want to kind of um, just first off provide a little bit of context to the general listener that for most people, even someone with extremely advanced physics knowledge or theoretical knowledge, incredible visualization abilities, you're not going to be able to even visualize or understand what seven dimensions look like, let alone eight, let alone nine, let alone 10. And believe me, I've done it. And I've spent the time deeply to look at what happens when you take three spatial dimensions and add a dimension of time. And then you add another dimension in which that thing is moving within a greater pattern. And then you add another dimension where that's moving within a greater pattern. And what happened is I got to, essentially when I got to the seventh one, the whole system mathematically collapsed in on itself and it created a torus where there's a zero point and there's a boundary condition and there's poles and there's all these things. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Now we have basically the construct of what makes up the reality of all of these layers of what we perceive, which, you know, matches the seven chakras and that's cool and kind of matches dimensional progression. And you get all of these cool loops. And then what happened is that, you know, I started looking at eight and nine and 10, and I realized that numerologically, what's actually important is the meaning inherent inside of these dynamics. So if you look at something like, you know, the heart, the heart is this 12 petal lotus and 12 is a powerful number because it unites the Trinity, the square, the hexagon, all of these things, you know, trinary, binary, quaternary, hexagonal, all of these things are united by the 12. And it's a one reason why our, our metrics of time our metrics of spatial measurement in the imperial system, our metrics of astrology, all of these things use 12 as a fundamental metric, right? And, and so then inherently, we're like, well, what's beyond the thing that connects all that stuff? Well, it must be the thing that's beyond the matrix that we're trapped in, right? We're all stuck in time. We're all stuck in astrology. We're all stuck in these things. So what's the 13th thing? Well, the 13th is going to be obviously that which encompasses, unifies, and transcends all of the prior things, right? And so if you're looking for a threshold, there's always a transcendent, you know, exactly 1320, as Chris Sow put it, right? That drops you into Mayan time systems rather than Gregorian time systems, which is maybe just a little bit more evolved of a time system in which everything is circular, there's synchronicity, there's awareness, there's consciousness. And so, you know, when I, when I look at statements like that, I like to just say there's always a transcendent threshold 
to the state of consciousness that you are experiencing as your matrix of reality. Whatever your matrix of reality is, whatever you've come to plateau at, whatever dimension you decide to call that, and whatever ways or frameworks you're using to understand that, there is always a transcendent of that. And the transcendent of that, at whatever point in time, may look like transcending duality. It may look like transcending the matrix. It may look like transcending, you know, any one of those things. Um, but essentially, the transcendent is always present at whatever level you are, no matter how far you go. And that's important to recognize because we can kind of get attached to the idea that like, oh, but all you got to do is just break that 13th dimension and boom, you're good. You know, it used to be or a while ago, it was like, yeah, dude, just get your freaking solar plexus worked out and you can get in your heart. Like, just try that. Let's start there, you know, like, um, and so, I, you know, I say that to, to be jestful, but also like really, really, you know, invite people to realize that there's always another level that you can transcend to. Um, and the statements around duality is a really powerful and fascinating one because, you know, I, I, I hear you, Geraldine, talking about this, and I hear people talking about this a lot where it's like, oh yeah, these beings, they just don't operate in duality. But I ask the question, are you in relationship with that being? And if you're in a relationship with that being, if you have a communication in any way, if you perceive that being and they perceive you in two ways, or there's more than one of those beings, then there is some form of duality that is present because there is differentiation. And the only point where you reach no differentiation is where we talked about in the beginning of the conversation. That's like when you go to God point, that's when you go to the infinite eternal source of all that is, and there is no differentiation anymore. It's just God. And then there's no duality. That's for sure. And I've experienced that. And a lot of us have, and it's freaking awesome. It's pretty great. But then we choose and is that to come back into experience. Is that non-duality connected to dimension? Or yeah. does that not even matter? <laughs> I don't think it matters because it's just like it's just like saying that's the number zero or the number one. At the point that you reach one or zero, there is nothing and there's everything, and it is. And it just is. And there is no duality at that point. Right. So whether you're going up in complexity to reach there or you're going down in simplicity to reach there, it's already there. Right. And that, that's kind of like makes me think of the whole yuga cycle um, mm -hmm. thing and how the Kali Yuga, the theme of the Kali Yuga is hierarchy. And mm -hmm. within hierarchy, you have one, two, three, four, and so on. Right. And so the whole hierarchy concept of dimensions is just a, a sign of the times that we're in right now. And mm -hmm. other beings probably don't even perceive it like that. You know, we're just having it perceive, perceived on this frequency bandwidth that we're on, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And And I think that, you know, mainly I just try to kind of, disarm some of the intensity that people grip some of these ideas because they can lead you down the wrong path sometimes and lead you to more confusion. You know, I, I remember going to San Francisco and going to one of the first UFO conferences I ever went to. And there's a woman and she gets on stage and she's like showing us picture after picture of streetlights with lens flares and she goes into a story about how every one of these lens flares is a ninth dimensional Arcturian ship. And mm -hmm. she's describing that they're tiny little beings and somehow they hide in these little starships 
that she somehow always captures when she's pointing her camera at a light. And, and so inside I'm going, oh God bless this woman. You know, she is probably having an experience of connection with beings when she's outside at night. But are those beings actually in the lens flares in her camera shots? No, probably not, <laughs> right? And so it's like, and even grasping that it's a ninth dimensional Arcturian or whatever is just something she heard somewhere. And so we regurgitate ideas often and pass them along. And we think that they all make sense and must be true because somebody I respect said it, but we have to all do the discernment work, break it down. Like, no, look, look, lady, you're taking pictures of lens flares. I'm not disagreeing with you that there are Arcturians, but you're teaching people that these are tiny little beings that live in lens flares. And that's not the case, right? Mm. So it's, we have to be able to challenge and to play with that and to like question to get to, to the real stuff. Right. You know, and um, since we're like, so a lot of people in this community or on this awakening path, uh, awakening path are so open to so much and we want to believe, right? We want to know and believe and see these other worlds. It's easy for us to grab onto things that maybe are leading us down other pathways where we start regurgitating information too, right? So yeah, this discernment is key. Um, so we, we, I want to close out pretty soon here, uh, but I want Geraldine, I first want you to, you know, just respond to everything shared right now. Then I have two questions. We'll close out and then I'm going to play Shreya's video. So go ahead, Geraldine. Sure. Um, uh, respond to what was said. Uh, well, you know. Or whatever you feel like sharing in regards to. Yeah. The topic, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's many directions that we can take the conversation even deeper uh, if we're going to talk about higher dimensions, because um, there is a certain order, you know, to how the universe uh, expresses itself. And there are patterns, mathematical patterns that help us uh, account for some of those. Um, and we see that in the golden ratio, you know, we can see that within 13 dimension, then 22, then, uh, you know, so on and so forth, we go into these patterns of numbers, in which uh, it seems that this spiral motion that creates this DNA strand in which we, we have seen many how, that we exist within, um, there seems to be different structures in which these the dimensions are expressed. So there's a long way before you get to conceptualizing even the concept of source. You know, source is something that the human mind cannot understand. Um, there's a long way to get there. And, um, but it's like quantum non-locality. You know, you can go from this universe to this other universe and almost in a flash, a flash of light, it's basically essentially the speed of light, how that functions. Um, that you exist within these two places. This is kind of how we can uh, make sense of navigating these dimensions, how, can, mm. how we can bring them back into this human experience. But I guess what's most important, I think I came to a point myself where I said, this is very, you know, there's no reason to even tune into this information because how is it going to support the human in their everyday life experience? How is it going to help less uh, less suffering right and that that's really what it comes down to what is it that we need to know right now in order for the human to suffer less and to reach and to embody its highest potential its highest functioning state so for that reason 
um, the shadow work, unconditional love, learning how to spin your, your vortex into the highest state in order to be able to navigate these, these experiences that we're having. And I would never, I would be very careful because right now we are, the third eyes uh, and the veil is thinning in such a powerful way that many people are tuning into a vision that they've never, they don't even know how to make sense of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we kind of have to great, build the groundwork to help uh, educate as much as possible how to navigate this kind of these kinds of phenomena, these experiences in a very loving and uh, accepting way. Each person has to contact is very personal. Each person has to experience everything until they know what is true and what's not true to them. I think that their own universe that they create is essential to their healing as long as it takes you away from suffering and into a place of unity consciousness with yourself and the universe uh, in all dimensions. So that's the only thing I would say uh, to end my, my thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Geraldine. All right. So here's a couple more questions for you guys. Um, all right. So to go back to the original question of this, this um, panel here, the questions, how fractalized are we from source? Are we fractalized are we even fractalized at all or are we both? And what I mean by this is we have the, uh, we have the nucleus with this looks like a solar system, looks like a star system just inside our cells. We have the planet rotating around the sun. We have the, gal- um, the solar system rotating around the galaxy. We have maybe the galaxy rotating around a central, something in the center of our universe. Do we have a universe rotating around something else? Are there more universes or does that even go even further out? And so are we fractalized from source and that we're kind of climbing the ladder to go back there? Even though ultimately we're all source, but this is kind of like the game that we created in it, you know, like we're all the computer coding, but in the computer coding, we've created levels for us to get to this one goal, right? Which is to basically win the game. So yeah, just get. I want to get you guys' uh, opinion on this. I've always wondered, like, if we're in a multiverse, how many universes are there? Is there a certain harmonic number to creation that there is, or is that infinite in itself? So let's start with you, Adam. Mm, yeah, well, um, I'm a strong proponent of the idea of of the holofractal. I'm actually building a, a project right now called Holofractal that lets you do long tail royalty and collaboration on NFTs. So it's kind of a fun, um, fun thing to link to in this concept. But essentially, you know, are we, are we fractals of God? Like, yes, because, but when you look at a fractal within any part that you have, there's self-similarities back to the whole fractal, like it contains within it infinite, right? Any part of a fractal contains an infinite pattern, which contains the patterns that it's contained within. And so, and there's, so there's a tie between the, like everything contained in you and you have your own very particular container that you're crafted through your experience, your event horizon through time. So in simple, yes, all of God and everything is inside of you and you are infinitely and eternally individuated such that no other being will ever have the same experiences as you. You have your own. They're perfect, they're individual, and they're magic. 
And this is also like related to the kind of larger conversation that we've been having this whole time and that that comes up a lot, which, you know, can be summarized by the phrase, trust Allah, but tie up your camel. And essentially, it's like, look, you know, yeah, you're God and everything. And yeah, you know, we can see that evil comes out of trauma patterns. And yeah, we can learn how to be compassionate to everything. But that doesn't mean you should go around the world thinking that every situation is just safe and love and light and perfect. It means you need to recognize that there are patterns in this universe that can be very harmful and very destructive and very painful. And learning things like protection and warding and learning how to essentially operate in a world in a way that both honors the safety of your individuality and protects and honors that beautiful individual tender little flesh being that you are, um, while also operating in your consciousness in states that have the level of confidence and the trust and the knowing of your power so that you are literally changing space time around you to match you is the right balance, right? And and like, you know, we just had Dia de los Muertos, you know, Samhain, Halloween, the veils are thin as people say. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been seeing and feeling the spirits out there. And sometimes you know, like when the spirits, there's a lot of spirits going on, you wanna set a field around your space. You want to make some clear space and be like, all right, like this, that's enough, not enough, not within this space. This is my sovereign space that I'm creating. Or you might create a special altar or a space where you're like, I welcome the spirits to come through here and to connect with me here. And these are the specific spirits that I want to connect with, right? Where you're creating a specific lens for that. And so, so this is like, you know, this is the, the foundation of the work is both recognizing your infinite, eternal, you are the universe, you are everything, you're all of that, and you're individuated. And because you're in duality and individuation, you also need to practice skills that make you a more capable person of relating and being in relationship with all kinds of beings in all kinds of states within that relational space. Beautiful, brother. Thank you. Geraldine, what are your thoughts? Um, so the way that I see us being um, fractal, fractalized um, in, is in the way that Adam explained it. Absolutely. Self-similar patterns of the whole. That's what a fractal uh, means. Um, but also um, within this dimensional plane, the way that source uh, fractalize itself it actually has a very beautiful organization uh, because this source actually within the physical body, the body literally becomes like a prism of from which white light is fractalized and organized in a range of frequencies uh, creating the chakra system. And each one of these vortices that make up the body, the vortices that make up the body are actually um, holding within that vortices, sorry, I'm getting over a cold, so I'm losing my voice. Um, these vortices of information and this information is organized from the lowest wave frequency into the highest range frequency. 
Um, and so within the physical body is literally the design of this spiral braiding of how life force is organized within this physical vessel. And we see that in all organisms, the same way that the earth itself has, has its own kind of vortice network or chakra system that self-organizes information from the lowest range to the highest range. So I will just add that part, which is very important to understand yourself as a human, because there is a way to utilize this vessel. We alchemize uh, frequencies in the body from the lowest to the highest state in order to be able, uh, and, and the alchemization process is essentially the transmutation process of the lower wave into the higher wave. So we can do that in our body. And there's many ways to do that. But embodying the alchemization process activates the body into its highest optimal state, highest spin, and highest ability to begin to affect matter by manifesting, intentionally co-creating, projecting into the hologram what we're experiencing. So without the alchemization process, we go back to that uh, robotic-like, as we mentioned earlier, patterns, which are informed by the imbalanced programs, which we are uh, repeating through the mitochondria over and over again, gen generational traumas that we are living out again and again through the cycle of samsara, as they call it, the karmic cycle of experiences that are projecting into our reality. So through the alchemization process has the opportunity of breaking that and shifting how we master and manage this expression. So <clears throat> excuse me for sounding like a frog during this conversation, but um, I will just add that little tiny piece to, to the conversation about uh, how we are fractalized in the universe. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline. And you sound, you sound perfect. Can oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think I sound terrible too, because I've been talking all day on meetings <laughs> and I can tell I'm gravelly, but you sound Seriously. good. You sound, okay, good. <laughs> you sound like a bell compared to me. Oh, right now. <laughs> good. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So guys, so we're going to end with a million dollar question in just a moment here. But right. first I want to say, <laughs> I've been holding this one. First I wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been tuning in. We've been on so many different YouTubes and Facebooks all day today. Um, see all the replays for all the panels, youtube.com slash portal to ascension. They're up immediately forever. And we're going to put it up on our podcast as well. But um, it's just really interesting to me how we like we had a conversation about galactic origins today. What does that mean? Well, the origin of humanity, where we came from, what spaceship went to where, right? Like or whatever kind of story that is. And it quickly turned into a whole conversation about our inner world. We had a conversation about UFOs and these ships. It quickly turned into a conversation about our inner world and consciousness and how it's all connected, right? We're having a conversation about like what's outside the universe and what are we talking about here? It's all coming back to us and how we are the universe. This is us. So this, even when I try to go the other direction, it always comes back home, right? So it's like, that is the message of Portal to Ascension, really. Even when I tried not to have that message, it came back to that message because that's really what it's all about. It's about doing the inner work, getting to a non-triggered state, being able to be have um, balanced, non-triggered conversations, interactions, connections, relationships with others. Imagine that what we could create with technology and what we can create with our imagination if we didn't come from insecurities and fear, you know?
the, the this unlimited potential. So I just want to honor the fact that, you know, that every time these questions come up about this external world, we speak about it, but it really does come from within. So here's the question. And this, you may not even want to answer this question. So this question really is like, if you feel there is no answer to it, what does it make you feel? And then respond that way, okay? And it might sound too simple for people, but what is the meaning to life, Adam? That is the question. <laughs> what is the meaning? And I could go into details on why I'm asking that, but I feel we're on the same level. So maybe you can just riff on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I won't. I won't try to sing the Monty Python song, you know, in my current vocal state, but um, yeah, what is the meaning of life? I mean, honestly, you know, I have my own views on that, but I think part of the beauty of the journey is learning how to actually ask that question and deeply contemplate it. Because for each of us, as we contemplate that question, we start to understand more about the meaning of our lives. And the meaning of our lives is what we've got, right? That's ours. That's our journey. And, um, you know, there's a beauty and perfection and simplicity to, to just being with that question at a deep level. So that's my closing statement is to put it back on everybody out there who's listening and just encourage you to do that contemplation work yourself. Like really look at that um, and, and question your life and question all the things that you're told and all the things that, you know, people get, get riled up around believing um, and question why, why, why do we get excited about these beliefs? What does it do for us? What does it do to change us? And as Geraldine said, you know, the, the real point of all of this is how do we get back to the place where we're actually in service to life and to each other and to love. And if, if believing something makes us feel bad or divided or afraid, or, you know, then we should ask ourselves, why, why do we need to look at it that way? And why do we believe that? And is there another way we can look at it? Is there another way to look at life? Um, yeah, and just be with it. Mm. Thank you so much. Um, meaning, what is the meaning of our life or your life? That's beautiful. You know, Adam, I really feel like I got to know you on a different level today, mm. you know, just having this conversation with you. So I really appreciate just having that moment to really just connect with you more. So thank you, brother. Thanks, yeah. man. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, man. Mm -hmm. Geraldine, what are your thoughts? And honestly, I completely agree with what Adam says. I'm not sure I can add much more to that because I think it's uh, the only the only one thing I would add is is please ask that question. You know, please ask that question to your to yourself, because that's the beginning of a journey of of uh, experiences that can really, you know, change your life. Or, you know, if you're in a state of suffering, bring it into a state of of your optimum self. So um, that, that's all I would say is to embody yeah. unconditional love, uh, bring yourself uh, into a state of co-creation and uh, compassion and love for the self is the most powerful, powerful thing that you can experience. And, you know, please have that journey. That, that's all I would say. Thank you so much. Thank you, Geraldine. Love you so much. Love you too.
it's almost like the meaning to life is to give your own life meaning. Exactly. You know, paradoxical kind of, yeah. sort of. <laughs> so that's a multiverse answer right there, Neil. <laughs> Man, you know, I've been saying, I've been saying the meaning of life is like to have experience, but it makes sense in this free will reality. We're given the ability to give our own life that meaning and to not give it any yeah. if we really want to and so choose yeah. to. Beautiful. All right, everybody. So we're going to close out in a few moments, but we actually do have an 18 minute video from Shariah. I'm going to play in just a second here. So I just want to just acknowledge both of you guys. Thank you so much. You know, please, if you want to stick around for this, otherwise you have to go, that's fine too. But Adam Geraldine, incredible conversation. I think it was a perfect way to really end today. So thank you guys. Mm, thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing conference this week, man. And uh, yeah, I'll be back with you on, was it Friday? We're doing it. I think you just don't have the schedule in front of me. Yeah, it's one of these days, I think. Yeah, yeah, Friday. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. We'll, we'll see four, there. Four, 420 Pacific time. Perfect time. <laughs> time. So we're going to have Adam's going to be here with us over the next five days. We have Geraldine coming back. So you're going to actually get to experience them just on their own with their, their downloads. So do come check it out. And again, you know, stick around if you guys want to, but I'm going to go into talking about the event for a minute now okay cool love you guys you, i'm gonna mm -hmm. just turn on video and audio all right great to meet you thank so much neil much love thank you adam so wonderful thank you bye Aloha. all right everybody so to everybody tuning in tomorrow we start with five days of the ultimate star beings event so let's go ahead and just show you guys this really quick shall we please do sign up if you are able to and you do get unlimited replay access so we're starting tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, been going on for 12 hours and 30 minutes today, so I'm a little tired and um, going to go right to bed and get like a good 10 hours of sleep because need to be refreshed for tomorrow um, because we're going to do five days of nonstop awareness with 10 MCs, 55 presenters. And let me just show you some of the people here again. Lisa Royale, Adam Apollo, Mary Rodwell, Elizabeth April, Dan Winter, Carolyn Corey, Magenta Pixie. Geraldine Orozco, Sandra Walter. So you can just see them right here. So if you want to sign up for this event, be a part of it, please do go to portaltoascension.org, events, online events, one to second event down, Ultimate Star Beings Conference. And again, you do get unlimited replay access. And, you know, honestly, this is a historic event, straight up. Like, there, this, what we're creating, what we cultivated, the way everything's going to flow, the amount of individuals across the world that are part of this event, the amount of experiences and, um, and truths that are going to be expressed in these five days, let alone today, because today was like, actually, is way more powerful than I imagined this day would be. And so what we're going to be experiencing over the next five days is just going to really pick up on that energy well, we've created a foundation today. We've created an energetic bubble. Instead of doing an opening ceremony tomorrow where we're like sending a signal out to the universe, we literally just did it here today. And then tomorrow we're just going to get deep, deep, deep into this awareness. So please do join us if you can. And um, again, if you want to see the panel replays to everybody, you can check it out at youtube.com slash portal to ascension. And I want to just extend my gratitude to every single one of you. Thank you all. Um, and thank you to all the people that stayed in the Zoom room all day. How amazing is that? So I'm going to close out with a poem here that I will screen share and we will get into um, Shariah's presentation. Let's see what we should share. 
in this world of calamity, with organized piety making people drop to their knees. We, we be the free. People see only right in front. Time for the peripheral, narrow-minded ignorance. Be the bigger man to see the benevolence. The interdimensional energy of love holds my truth above other dimensions. I'm the anti-level vacuum being sucked down with the pull of a black hole, recycled in this universe that shows acceptance. Knows acceptance by accepting the predicament that I am in. With all the government made me think I do is all I do is a sin. Straight fear-mongering. So I write with a pen to show beginning to end. Just know we chose to be here. Tear perceptions of fear. I remember Ja. We'll be waiting there. It's time to believe in yourself, to forget monetary wealth, to concentrate on your health. I felt lost, stones pelt, my body was bloody, judgment by those who say they love me, but what does love mean? Within these lower frequencies, off emotions, causing mental erosions, I'm frozen in a rapidly moving time. With holes in the heavens, flow of energy from realms of divine, these beings, they thought that we were under their guide. To receive lessons of ascension? No. The gods we show, the biblical portrayal of Jesus in pagan rituals, the deities we worship and bow, ask for forgiveness and how? Can we reach the kingdom of heaven? Away from ourselves, we've been looking externally for personified God, indemnified soul of the old ancestry of the duality of friends and foes. Know this. The energy level will persist. The new world order doesn't matter one bit. No one world without singularity, physical perceptions manifest in this realm of spirituality, no order, pure anarchy to set all humanity in 13 different third dimensional planetary systems free. So follow me, and we will transcend and ascend to the fourth density. All right, to any of you who are still tuned in here, let's just all take a deep breath in together. Same way we began today. Deep breath in through the nose and out of the heart. Meditate and levitate. Waves of frequencies resonate higher. I'm connected to the provider. Source of cosmic energy. We're going to be one single entity. Expansion remedied. Oneness must breathe, exhale and let free, consciousness to be, experiences of you and me. Souls of interdimensional beings to feel, hear, and see this third dimensional planetary existence. All time can be found in one instance. In this realm of linearity, atoms in anarchy, quantum polarity, the epitome of creation. Facing our egos, acquiring patience, waiting to let go of our nations and join the federation of souls that will take us to the fifth world and join the federation of souls that will take us to the fifth world and rejoin the federation of souls that will take us to the fifth world. Love you all so much. It's been an incredible day. Thank you all for your energy. And I'm gonna go ahead and say bye officially to everybody now um, on the stream as well. We're gonna keep going on here and we're gonna go ahead and play Sharia Dharma. So again, thank you all. Love you all so much. Have a beautiful rest of your evening. Hope to see a lot of you tomorrow and you know for the next five days so see you guys there bye-bye
Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk a little bit about my favorite topic, the nature of reality. So I could speak about this topic for hours and hours and days and days, but that is why I have created the books that I've created, as well as the podcasts and presentations and courses and all the work that I've been putting out over the years, because I do feel that understanding and discovering the nature of reality and who we really are, where we really are, what we're really doing here on the planet is of paramount importance for our growth and development as souls, as well as our healing, what you might call our redemption, our recalibration and our awakening, which many of you are already aware that we are deeply undergoing as a species right now, as a collective of souls, incarnating into human form. In our soul nature, we are ineffable, indestructible, eternal, living man and living woman, embodied here on the planet for various purposes, which people have many, many, many ideas about how that came about, exactly how might things have come about that we happen to be incarnated in these bodies. But Generally speaking, there is a bit of a consensus that somebody monkeyed around with us at some point and caused us to be diminished from our original stature. And in that diminishment, what it meant is our ability to fully realize and be aware of ourselves as at one with the oneness of the all that is, the original prime source creator, that ineffable suchness was diminished. and the world's spiritual traditions, Buddhism, Hinduism, which is many, both of those have many different facets and aspects, plus all of the rest of the ancient traditions, esoteric Christianity, on and on and on, ancient scriptures, the Celtics, the Vikings, the Tartarians, on and on and on, the mythos and the legends and the lore and the knowledge has to do with our uh, higher stature from which we fell. And again, there's lots of different opinions about exactly what that fall was, who fell, and what that meant. Let's just imagine that we're here now in these bodies that had been tampered with to lessen the DNA's ability to reconnoiter itself as at one with this source. So our journey of redemption, recalibration, and awakening has to do with remembering the energy of source. It has to do with remembering who we really are, and it has to do with remembering how we operate and what we are here to do. So when we think of the oneness, the all that is, and that we're each aspects and, and the sparks of that, so to speak, then you imagine that source consciousness having a body to go, a vessel or a temple to go be in, to experience life in a plane, such as the earth plane. And it would have had functionality that would allow it to still remember who it was before it put on that wetsuit. And what has happened here is that the functionality of remembering who we were before we put on the wetsuit has been greatly diminished, decreased, or in some cases snuffed out entirely and supplanted with false ideas and concepts that hearken to the truth of who we are, but only slightly point to it enough just to entice people and then get them hooked 
into untruths and falsehoods, which is what the our wayward siblings, I'll just call them that for lack of a better word at the moment, you know, have loved to do to keep humanity under its thumb, so to speak, for various purposes, which again, we're not getting into that today necessarily. And this wetsuit called the human body that we came into to be on this plane was capacitated with all kinds of wonderful things, a very, 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 very extremely advanced technology. We can't even imagine the length of time under which that had developed and been created. But through this wetsuit, when properly operating, we could and would and can still do many things which our ancestors have forgotten how to do. This includes our psychic abilities, our clairsentient, clairaudient abilities, our abilities to have dominion over the natural world and nature, as was talked about in the scripture. So in the scripture, mankind and womankind were given dominion over the earth plane. And so you think of the earth plane as made of these elements. We had dominion over the elements to mold and shape them to our will as instruments of the divine coming down to create beauty harmony, love, and well-being on the planet. And, and so that is akin to now what we call manifesting, law of attraction, reality creation. Basically, it's being able to mold the clay of our environment and of our reality altogether in all dimensions through the power of our connected will. So when we're connected to the will of the all good, of the goodness and wonderfulness and beauty of life, and have and remember the power that we have to manipulate matter and the and the nature, property, uh, earth elements to do what we want them to do. We've, you know, we would have created all, and we did create all kinds of amazing technologies in the past. So one of the things you probably learn about here on Portal of Ascension and have heard about is that this whole human experience is millions of millions and millions and God knows how many millions of years old. This is not new, <laughs> but certain entities, you know, come around and try to capture younger civilizations to bend them to their own will because they forgot how to create or they lost their ability to create through light. And so then they become parasitic. So in that parasitic nature, we became what was being fed on because we're streaming source energy. So one way to call us is source streaming human angels. Now in reclaiming our ability to be liberated from such an experience of domination from others who aren't meant to dominate us at all, we need to remember who we are, where we are, what we are, where we came from and where we're going and where we've been. It may sound like a tall order right now, but it is literally is the process of awakening that we're in at the moment. Now, in this earth plane reality, the ancient esoteric scripts and scriptures talk about it being what we could call a simulation. Even Buddhism talks about the world as Maya, the different various Vedas and Hindu traditions also point to this Maya, this world as an illusion and that there's multiple levels of the world as illusion, which all get better and better as you ascend higher into them with more love and more goodness or sattva sattvic rajasic tamasic or qualities and the sattvic is the quality of goodness 
uh, as you get more benevolent and more loving and more joyful, and you therefore create more in, along those lines, you're going to create blissful, wonderful experiences. But what the traditions basically say is eventually all that good karma and that good energy winds down and the cycles keep turning in this realm. And so if you haven't fully liberated yourselves from this video game, this Maya or this illusion, then you're going to speak, even if you had achieved the highest level of the Brahma Loka, you're going to recycle back into the regular earth plane experience sooner or later, even if it's after hundreds of thousands or millions of years. So that is why many of the scriptures talk about actually complete and total liberation and self-realization. As long as we have any identity at all with a limited individuated self, we're going to be tempted to think in terms of separation. And so that's why in coming back to the oneness and coming back to God realization and self-realization, we realize ourselves as the full creator of the entire video game. Now, the tricky part is that it is not our little eye or our ego who wants to be God <laughs> that is the penultimate creator. It's a construct. So if we fool ourselves into thinking that this construct of our ego is the creator, then we're going to get stuck and trapped and loop back into these cycles again. So you see how it's not, okay, there's nothing wrong with the ego or what have you. There's nothing wrong with having these experiences of an individuated creator, but it's all about your own intention and come to realize your oneness with the all that is. You're going to start a whole other turn of the wheel and the journey to the return home journey, the return home to our realization of who we really are. And so we would be dealing with that set of cycles, even if some fourth dimensional entities hadn't snagged us and brought us down and turned it, the civilization into a slave civilization. <laughs> so you see how the plot thickens and the game gets even more interesting. Some people say that a whole system that we were in in this sector of the galaxy was snagged and somehow sucked into a third dimensional reality when in fact it was a fifth dimensional reality. Others say that it was just an invasion from outer space. Others say it was an invasion from underneath. And others say it's certain species and some say there's no other species. So now others say that there's a flat earth that we're on and others say that no, it's round and others say no, it's hollow. And then others say, no, 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 it's just a digital simulation. And if you go far enough to the edges of the simulation, you'll start to see the simulation crumbling before your eyes. So do we know? We're wondering, we're wondering, but you gotta remember that the nature of reality is that whatever we focus our attention on, we get more of. And that's even in terms of proof of what we're already thinking. So if we're to come to realize the nature of reality, maybe it's not so much figuring out exactly what kind of construct we're in as it is remembering how to work our suit, how to work our consciousness, how to work our awareness, who we really are as extensions of the creator and form. Because as we have more and more of that kind of realization, then the rest of it's going to sort itself out. I mean, if you know how to operate the suit, if you know how to operate the higher functionality of 
your uh, your operating system as a being, and you stop identifying with the body and realize that it is part of your experience, but it's not you. Now you're gonna have you're gonna have more and more positive detachment and loving awareness to guide you in manifesting the types of experiences that will take you to the next step and the next step and the next step. Now, all of the scriptures admonish us not to get too carried away with all the stuff we're creating down here, so to speak. Now, why is that? Is it because there's anything wrong with a material thing or a material experience? No, but what's been learned over time from the wisdom keepers is when we become really attached in the earth plane, when we become attached to power, when we become attached to now in our case here on this planet money when we become attached to position when we get prideful when we start becoming jealous and we want to possess others and we start becoming you know this mean god or goddess you know we start becoming this this ornery individual now the universe in its repercussive natural state is going to start eventually throwing all that negativity back at us, ruining our own experience and diminishing our ability to connect with that higher power and also causing us to be negative beings. And we don't want to do that. So that that cycle has happened enough times where the wisdom over the God knows how many centuries, eons, millions of years has been passed on in bodies of knowledge, helping us realize the beauty and simplicity and the extraordinary nature of kindness and the beauty of forgiveness and the beauty of not holding and grasping on to things, the wisdom of realizing everything in this plane comes and goes and changes always, therefore it's impermanent and not real. So any of these admonitions are for our own good, though here, in these times and in this situation, the other guys, the wayward sibs, so to speak, try to trick people and say, oh, no, you need all these things. And, oh, you're the one. And you, they play to the ego and they play to people's desires and they try to get everybody all, you know, in their mind and more uh, thinking about how to beef up their ego as opposed to dismantling it. So it's the equal and opposite approach to the spiritual, which it says, straighten our path, simplify, love is the highest, be kind. doesn't mean you can't have material things, but the reason why the scripture says it's harder for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle than a rope, it was actually rope, not camel, which makes a little more sense. But the reason why that scripture was said is because because uh, when you're so involved in the world, you're having so much fun, you've got all this wealth and riches and power and all this stuff, you're going to get caught up in it. Seriously, you're going to get caught up in it. Now you can try. Maybe you're enough of a badass to do that and not get all caught up in it. But good luck with that is basically what the ancient scriptures are saying. So where does that lead us to? leads us to the beginning of this program tonight, which I'm sure is going to be wonderful with these beautiful beings collected here to add to expand on and maybe even disagree with some of what I've said here to start us off. And uh, since I'm on the East Coast, I'm not with you personally because I do wind down in the evenings. And I look forward to listening to what everyone else has to share. And I just wanted to leave you with these thoughts of the nature of reality. 
look, it's up, it's down, it's all around. We don't really know. Maybe it's a simulation. Maybe it's just a re it's on a repeat. There's going to be a reset coming up soon. Maybe it's a hollow earth. Maybe it's a, maybe there's inner earth pockets and it's a donut shape. Maybe it's a flat earth. Maybe there's no such thing as outer space at all. Or maybe we are hurtling in space through time and space on a little ball out in the middle of space. We don't really know right now. That's okay. Focus on remembering who you are. Focusing on remembering love in your heart. Focus on reconnecting to the source within. Because truly, as all the masters have said, the answers are within us. We forgive the past. We learn from our mistakes. We take responsibility for our own mistakes in our own time and way as we heal. And mistakes, a sin, missing the mark is simply just that. We've missed the mark from what could have brought us more joy, more peace, more love. We stepped a little too far into our ego. Maybe we stepped on some toes along the way, or maybe others stepped on our toes and we created messes. This is the time to forgive ourselves for those and to acknowledge the good stuff too without being attached to being the doer. So the scriptures also talk about not being attached to being the doer because the doer is God, is source, the ultimate source, the ultimate God, our true identity, which we will eventually come to realize once again. Right now, we're both the, create, the creator and the creature. The creator lives within us and is us, but we don't know ourselves as that yet. So along the journey, the creature that we are, we help it comprehend more and more that it is at one with the source and help it to let go of the egoic constructs that try to make it better than or worse than any other created being so that we begin more and more to identify with the source within us. And as we do that, that is what sets us free. That mighty power can guide us each individually. So the teachers worth their salt are going to be pointing you to that direct source connection, that love within the heart, which each of us can access directly. Much love and many blessings. This is Shirai Dharma signing off for this evening. I'll tune in again with you soon.